Wait, we're muted. I think we've been muted this whole time. No, I'm not now. Oh. Yeah, but turn off the sound of it. Otherwise it'll echo, right? But we could turn off the sound and you can still hear the mic, right? Yeah, so I just put my phone on silent. Cool. And I'm putting it next to me. Um, in the computer, it's Riverside, right? Oh, yeah, yeah perfect. Um, oh, this is part of the problem. You're on 720p. I forgot I always make this mistake. So, for some reason, when you are locked when you're recording. So, stop this. Yeah, when I do, it goes to 2164K, but when I do 1080 HD, it, it doesn't. It messes up the video. I don't understand why. It's like not capable of handling it. Yeah, no, I honestly have no idea. It's weird. Um, but I just fixed it. I just see, look, yours is how much uploaded? 90%. And mine is what? 19. Why can't I just cancel it though? Output volume. Okay. Really? Wait, you hear, but is that why I'm echoing again? Because <laughs> the sound's on or no? Oh, I'm not echoing anymore. Did you leave? What happened? Yeah. What? Oh, no, no, you don't need to mute. Uh, you can unmute. I'm still echoing. You can unmute yourself. Just turn the the listening volume to nothing. And it'll just like get our voices, I guess. But uh, why am I echoing? I've never had this. Is it? Why? Is it because of delay? It's driving me nuts. Headphones. All sound of it. Something's just not right with it. Microphone. Okay, speakers. What's up? What's up, Greg? We're just getting started. I just can't figure out why I'm echoing like crazy. Input. Choose anything to play sound. Bam, boom. Enhance audio. I just don't know what to do, so we're gonna have to roll with it. Are you not echoing on your side? Oh, you are. Like on your desktop. Like where you hear yourself? 
why not? Just hold down the volume down button on your phone until it goes all the way down. That's all. Like you're Like, are you on the screen, like, of the chat or whatever? You know, on the left side, the volume buttons, the up and down. <laughs> Just hold the down one until it goes all the way blank. Or keep pressing the down, I guess. No, because I'm speaking too. Yeah, look. Oh, you're right. It is not. Yeah, it's not completely off. You're you're right. That's interesting. Uh, well, we can either exit that, but I don't hear it because I have my headphones in. Oh, really? All right, Gregory, if it sounds fine, we're going to. I don't know where you saw that. Oh, cool. Gregory, thanks for that input, man. Where do you live? What, what part of the world do you stay in? All right. I'm not echoing anymore, by the way. Upload upload complete. And mine's still 30%. It's just to stop. You know what? Whatever. It's fine. I hope this doesn't mess up. I can't cancel. Let's just go. All right. I think we're almost live. Almost. This is it. This is huge. All right, we're live. I'm a little worried that the previous record, we've been recording like for an hour just talking and me dealing with technical issues literally for an, an hour. And uh, man, I'm just, I'm so nervous that this video doesn't totally upload. But you got to have faith. Yours goes so fast, man. But anyways, Hector, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, well, I mean, for full transparency, you, you know, definitely ditched me yesterday and uh, was a no-show and um, didn't respond. <laughs> we can call it even. Absolutely. We like to start the show with call outs, you know, get people already on their toes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really heartwarming. Um, no, man, I, I really appreciate you being on. And um, uh, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, we were just talking about it, but I'll never forget the first time we did talk and we had a phone call and I was living in Miami. Um, where were you specifically? You were in Mexico City, right? And um, we had like this long conversation and the reason for it was we both had aligned interests on no code on, we'll get into this in a little bit, but specifically Coda and being more powerful than Notion. A lot of people probably just dropped off the podcast. Um, but uh, but just um, and hearing your story of, of how you were helping some small businesses with their which actually is something near dear in my heart because I'm an accountant originally, believe it or not, is um, it always blew my mind how every business I've ever worked for or worked with um, has never had accurate data in real time 
to make the best decision possible. It was always looking in history. It was, you know, and it's just I, so many things have been created in the past five years, like from robotic process automation to then just simply no code automation to then what uh, on the last podcast, David Peterson, who was head of growth at Airtable, he refers to as these developer toolkits is his thesis, which is um, when they were at Airtable and they were growing, they were looking at comparable, they thought comparable companies like Salesforce, like just standard SaaS, but that wasn't a good comparison. He was saying, looking back, really, it should be compared against the notions and, you know, and even the codas, which is where people can use it as a toolkit and it's not a standardized, you know, platform and make it custom to exactly what you need. And isn't it true that that's one of the huge benefits and differentiators of Coda specifically? You keep saying anyone. Do you really mean anyone? Because this is the biggest pushback I get. <laughs> Gregory says, sorry, Gregory says no sound from Hector. <laughs> Where, so... Just so everyone who's listening knows, we are recording this on what I normally use, which is a little plug, I guess, Riverside.fm, contemplating other ones. Um, but uh, take next. I, I don't see your. So anyways, we're we're on the computer with Riverside and our phones. We're on this new pod. No, like your thing's not, you know, red. You know how it shows like the talking waves. But we're on a call-in. Is it callin.co? So I think it's something like that. But it's really made for – they've gotten some huge podcasters and, and um, big names, uh, like in news okay. and stuff like that. There you go. You're, I, think your voice is working. I think I'm on now. Yeah. You are. Okay. Um, I don't know what happened there. but um, Like what's his name? Grant Greenwald. But, yeah, so, so Gregory is listening to us live, actually. Um, he's the number one fan. And uh, he's going to – you know what? We're going to give Gregory a gift for his support. Um, so we'll figure out what that is, Gregory, and we'll send it to you after the show. But that's why we have this weird delay. But back to what, 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 what you were saying. So Coda and Coda Packs and how anyone, anyone can be a builder, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's the issue when... Generally speaking, when we talk about no-code tools and then we, we say we all say something like, Yeah, anyone is a maker, anyone can build something, and then and then when anyone tries it, then they realize it's actually not for anyone. Um I I guess anyone means anyone who's actually willing to give it a try. 
and to learn because it's it's not for anyone if you're not willing to dedicate some hours to learn the tool you're using and then and then go deep into that tool um but practically speaking if you can this is how i think about it if you understand the basics of a database like if you understand how rows and columns work and how to structure data in a certain way like a relational database or like like a relational database exactly that's like one important part to use a lot of no good tools so if you understand how a relational database works and how you can customize it and how you can add values and parameters and inputs etc plus you feel comfortable enough to do a couple of formulas on a spreadsheet and then you like kind of know a little bit of web basics which is like what's a button and like what's an action <laughs> what's yeah. an automation um and if you ever used word or any text processor you're pretty like you now i would say if you do all of those you can use 90 percent of no code tools i agree i I, dude i'm I'm in your camp i only say that because because i hear it so often but i i really believe it's just a lack of effort i think it's a lack of effort I, i i think all of it can be learned and sure, some are more difficult than others, and there's limitations here and there. But if you're willing to, like you said, you can. Absolutely, there's no question. Like, don't you don't you believe that? De- definitely, I think. I mean, and maybe we can apply it to ourselves. I don't know about you, but I didn't see myself working in no code and tech and kind of like software ish, low code, whatever five years ago, I just like, I thought everything was about spreadsheets and email and Word. <laughs> oh God, like, all of my two least favorite tools in history, Google Sheets <laughs> and emails. I despise <laughs> them. But wait, you brought us something interesting. What was your answer then five years ago? If it wasn't, what was the answer? Like, what did you see yourself as? Um, A construction worker? No, nah, not really. I like I just saw myself doing finances and investment strategies for small companies um, with the basic tools. And by the basic tools, I meant Google Sheets and Excel. And I hated them, but that's all I got back then. It's just like, okay, this is just how it is. And I got used to it because, it, I mean, even though it was pretty bad and even though I kind of hated it, I loved it at the same time. So we had these like love-hate relationship with Excel and spreadsheet and all of those, but I just got used to it. And I thought, okay, this is just, this is life. Like, this is just how it works. And so I'm just going to keep <laughs> doing it for the rest of my life. And then I will see somewhere else to innovate. And I was not thinking about changing my tools and like just ditching Excel and the spreadsheet. Now I can happily say I, I haven't used a spreadsheet for a few years, at least no a year, way. maybe. I don't know. Really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, not not to solve my stuff. I I open some spreadsheets once in a while, and I open some Excel's that someone sends me. But it's not like I go into Excel and do a financial model like like I used to. Now I I use other stuff. Causal, Causal, yeah. I was just about to say I mainly use Causal, uh, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, amazing. Yeah. Since I since have you used it? 
I think I've used it and, and Finmark and, and there's a few other, and Pride. Pride was, Pry was actually just bought by Brex. Pride.co. Um, oh, interesting. There's a few of them, but yeah, that's the most. I would say I would robust, say robust tool. Tool. Yeah. Yeah. Causal by far. It's, I think it's the best one. Um, yeah. I used to do a lot of financial modeling on Excel and then spreadsheets. And, uh, I just shifted everything into causal. Wow. Well, I have a lot of questions about that, but before we get into deep, um, for everyone who's listening, um, can you give people a little bit of context on who you are, you know, what you do and, um, you know, why, what brings you to this podcast as the most amazing guest besides tied with everybody else who's been on? He's making up a story. Okay. So I think we have like some weird setup with both our computer and Colin because Gregory is now saying that if my mic is on, then Jonathan, then it's still like you're echoing. So, so what I'm going to do is when I'm not speaking, I'm just going to mute myself and clockwise. All right. Or we can just leave the room. Um, um, Gregory, we can give you here. I'm just going to give you a link to, cause from the, from what we're using right now, we can live stream it to something. I just don't want to put it on like YouTube necessarily or something main, but I'll put it on Twitch because no one follows even knows that I even have Twitch. And if you want to watch it, uh, we could do that. So let's give that a try because it is a weird setup. And I totally agree. So let's, uh, here we go. This is so interesting. Well, I can do this, but you can go ahead and uh, tell people who you are, you know, what you do. And, um, uh, and how we, you know, kind of how we cross paths. Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, my name is Hector. I'm uh, originally from Mexico. The, I was actually born in the north of Mexico in a small town called Hermosillo, Sonora, pretty close to the U.S. But I, I've been living in Mexico City for the past 20 years or so. Um, and I have a background in, in finances and um, accounting same as you, um, same as a lot of people actually no code or yeah, I've seen a lot of finance people here. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. I, uh, I've started a couple of companies. Most of them have failed. So I have obviously learned a lot in the way, um, started the first one when I was just starting college or a little bit before college. And then during college, I had like three of them or I tried three of them. Um, all of them random, a crowdfunding platform. Another one was selling climbing t-shirts. Um, and then I, I joined an incubator and I did financial modeling and data crunching for tried and true entrepreneur. everything. Yeah. So I, I tried a little bit of everything. Um, and then I was working for a impact investments advisory firm where we would help small companies with their finances, operations, and, um, investment strategies in general. And and that's how I found out about no code because I just wanted to make my job easier um, instead of using the main tools. And and that's how I learned about no code. And then that's how I learned about MakerPad um, and like all the Twitter stuff going on. 
did you, because I was thinking before when you said like you weren't expecting to change your tool. Like you didn't explore, you didn't just consistently like just look at what tools are out there and product on or whatever it might be. Um, but you must have, because you came across no code. Was that actively or it was totally by accident? It was actually by accident. Um, I was kind of on my own bubble, just like not really aware of the word no code. Um, I was like rarely aware of product hunt and like no code Twitter. And I was barely user of Twitter. Um, and then I think it all started on Twitter. I just like, I guess some people just started mentioning it. And then I was like, oh, what is this? And then I saw a couple of options and then I got into MakerPad. And then I got into like Twitter as well. And then I just thought I went into the rabbit hole. Once I found out the many tools you could do to automate, I got obsessed with Zapier once I found out about Zapier. Um, and then I got obsessed with uh, productivity tools. And then um, I think our table one was the first or one of the first tools I used as well. And I just thought it was, everything was just better than what I had, which is email and like my classic, uh, I don't know, G suit and stuff. So um, everything got better after that. And I went to the rabbit hole and uh, never stopped. And just like, I guess similar as you, like you also learn about a couple of tools and then you got all in into them. And now, you know, like pretty much all of them. Um, I'm probably not the best example because I guess my obsession of just for the past decade plus, like it has not like before no code was even no code was anything that had to do with like, you were saying like productivity tools, like anything with like even business related portals, automations, BPM, like, you know, Zapier's type stuff, iPasses, um, workspaces, like Monday.com, you know, the notion, you name it. I was just obsessed with trying every tool in the world. And it's what I did for fun. And they happened to all be no code tools, quote unquote. But like literally, like on my phone, when I delete an app, another app appears because it's already in the backlog of an app that I downloaded like two years ago, probably there's like a backlog of like 400 apps. And then I run out of memory and my phone freezes because I, I try every app, everything on the, like, which goes to your point actually, which is interesting because I think that's actually the wrong strategy. Sure. It's been the unique value that has built the, professional services or quote unquote agency business that I did was that, you know, people who didn't know anything about no code said, Hey, I want, you know, a shoe marketplace and I want it built on bubble. Everyone want, you know, but that's because they only knew the tool bubble. And I asked, you know, what are the nuances of the project? And when I hear it, my mind just like immediately, you know, like, yeah, I'm like, you know what, actually for that functionality, like Airtable with Integromat or Make and using Webflow as a front end without Seto would be a great, great, but much better customer experience using ShareTribe. Like I just told them the truth of like off of, it's kind of like the market just fell in my lap by accident. Like it wasn't my intent. I just, I would be using these tools anyways. 
but you do want to stay narrow and you want to stay focused because first of all, there's more tools now than ever. And I still go bonkers trying to try it. Like I'm in betas with like, like intersect labs to internal.io to reach, you name it. Like it's crazy. And you kind of, there's this chart in the book essentialism where it's like a ball and it's got like, like little arrows going out from all sides of it. And that's when you, and it only goes a little bit out, like one inch out. And it's basically saying like, if you are working with, you know, you don't, you're not focused and you're working with a ton of different things that could be tools that could be all multiple areas of life, but it's basically saying lack of focus. You make a little bit of progress in all these directions versus the other picture, which is a circle with one arrow that goes all the way up and shows if you focus on that one thing and that one like niche and you become great at it, you travel so much further and provide so much more value. And so like being a glide expert, being a just like a coda expert, and it's going to get more niche than that over time, in my opinion, but sticking to like a tool and being the master of that is more optimal, I believe, than knowing uh, a mediocre amount or a good amount about so many different tools, but it's kind of it's 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 not as much value as you can give like do you know what i'm saying does that make sense totally i think it makes a lot of sense and i think the first time we we were speaking we met uh i had a huge question on whether i should go niche or go broad and 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 you like went straight into go niche just like go as niche as you can go super niche um how do you think about niches? Like when you're thinking about an audience or certain tools, how do you think about it? When is like, is there a correct time to not go niche or is your answer most of the time go as niche as possible? Is Gregory still here? I'm, I, I'm, tr I'm trying really hard. I'm trying really hard to get this. Uh, I think the Twitch is going. I just don't know. My, oh, it's creator economy. Give this a try, uh, Gregory. Twitch.tv and then creator economy is the name. And it's probably streaming live, I think. <laughs> I have no idea. Because um, this back and forth with this muting is really weird. But anyways, how do I think about that? Um, so, yep. so a couple things. So I, th I think that up in... It, it it's it was better to be more of a I would say even five years ago ten definitely ten years ago fifteen years ago I would say that you actually let me rephrase this at the beginning of any new innovation any like technological innovation right um, what happens is is that not many people know about it there's the early adopters right and then more people become aware of it. And then if, you know, then it becomes mainstream, but that takes a long period of time. And at the very early onset of something that is as big as like no code or as attractive as no code, being a generalist, um, kind of like the approach that I had, right. Was way, it was, to, it was much more in my benefit than someone who was just with one tool or something like that, because you, no one was really great at anything in particular. 
And so they were just mediocre at like this one thing, but I was mediocre at like a hundred different things. And, but what, so being a generalist at the beginning, when people don't know much about it and the market doesn't know exactly what tools should be used for what, it's more beneficial because you can take on a lot more different projects if you know of all the different tools. You just have to know of the toolkit. But over time, what happens is, is that people end up becoming experts on these individual platforms. And then I believe within the platforms, certain parts of it, like for example, someone's going to be probably even more than this, but like Airtable automations specifically. And that has to do with, um, you know, with make, what a weird name, Integromat, whatever. And uh, specifically within that to accounting and finance tools. Like, and they're going to be the best in the world at that. And whenever someone needs something with that, all the companies are going to work through them as opposed to one person working for a company all year round because no one in the world I've ever seen is the best at every single thing they do at their job all year round. Like, why not have the best person for whatever that project is at that time, right? And then kind of cycle through that. And uh, so I think being a generalist in the beginning is good. And then you then become that restaurant that serves Chinese food, Italian food, and American food. And you, and as a consumer, you just don't trust that they could be good at any of that if they're serving all the different types of food. I'd rather go to a Chinese restaurant for Chinese and an American restaurant for American. And you don't want to be a generalist because someone would rather go with the top, you know, bubble Coda expert than someone who does Coda Notion, you know, all this stuff. So that's kind of how I think about it. Um, and when we were talking, yeah, I, I think niche, uh, well, first of all, I think your niche is very interesting. In fact, can you talk a little bit about that? And then we could dive a little bit deeper on it. I think, I think your niche isn't really even a niche. It's like big. Yeah. Um, yeah, not really sure if it's a niche or how, how big of a niche it is. So, so like, how I started it with no code tools is just like helping small companies um, with their finances. So, what's a small company for me, or like for my, some of my clients on on like all the Sevras, which is my, my side business? Um, it's teams between two and fifteen people that currently use Excel or spreadsheet to manage their day to day finances. Um, they usually also, so that's like two things. The third one is they don't have someone in the team with finance knowledge at all. So they are like all uh, background in, in sales or background in something else. Like they're pretty good at building the product, manufacturing, whatever, but not finances. Yeah, not a requirement. It just like happens to be a characteristic of who who I'm targeting and who I like working with because I think there's a lot of value I can provide if they don't know anything about finances, whether if they already know about finances, then, then maybe they can solve their own issues and like, maybe they don't need all the answers. So I, I like working with like small teams, just running their finances in a spreadsheet uh, without any knowledge in finances or just like maybe the basics. Uh, because I feel like I can add a lot of value. Um, so yeah, that's like mainly who I've been working with. 
like, do you feel like, um, I'm not going to go back and forth with this muting and unmuting. I think it's streaming on Twitch. I really do. I don't know how to check. I'm sorry, Gregory, but twitch.tv slash creator economy. I think if you go there, you'll see it. If not, just put a text in there, but otherwise everyone can watch it there. I think it is live, but I don't know. Um, so I'm not going to do the muting anymore. Um, like, it's, I gotta be honest, what it sounds like to me is, is that you don't believe, and tell me if I'm wrong, you worry about getting, you don't think you can get the sale if there is a finance or accounting person on board. Like, even though the largest professional services companies, literally the big four, PwC, Deloitte, make tens of billions of dollars in revenue providing expertise to people in the same domain, like advisories to CFOs, like look at McKinsey. Like it's, so I can argue that it's more beneficial to have a finance person who just needs, who knows exactly. In fact, I have found it personally to be better that someone is a finance person and they're a normal finance person who doesn't know no code and stuff. And therefore they know what they want done. They just don't know how to get there. And you go, yeah, we could do that. Or I could build that. And boom, like they hire you in two seconds because they've wanted that forever. They just didn't know it was possible. That, what do you think? I mean, I think that's totally valued, um, valid, but I've worked with both. So I, I work with many companies that have CFOs and someone, an accountant or someone. And I've worked with many teams that have no clue about finances. And I actually enjoy more working with those people. Taking them from zero to one, it's more fun for me than taking a team from one to two. So it's just like, personally, I think it's just more fun and I like it. And I like to see their faces, their woe moments when they learn about a new finance concept or when they actually start understanding their finances for the first time ever. I think for me, that's just amazing. Having to see a team go from like, I don't know, I just sell and I do have expenses. I actually don't know if I have a profit or anything. So going from that moment of confusion and not understanding their data to, oh, for the first time, I actually understand my margins, my profits, my cash flows. I think that's just amazing. What's like a practical example? Um, You mean, oh, I think. Like like of a scenario where they did not understand their finances in some way and then had a metric. Yeah, the classic one is a team who sells through different channels. So, so let me talk about an e-commerce platform back in, in Mexico. Um, they sell plants and pots um, on Instagram and on their website, and then they deliver in, in the same city. Um, so they were just like selling on WooCommerce and then on WhatsApp and then on email and uh, a few other platforms. Did they make a lot of money? Decent money, not a lot. Uh, just like a good side hustle, not a full-time hustle, not a full-time Like a couple or like a business or an individual? Two people. 
Yeah, pretty and much. They, two people. And they sold what? Pots and pans? Plants and pots for. On, on, solely for on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Mainly, and they can make a living off that. Yeah. Um, like, so, I hope people, that's amazing. That's amazing. It is. It's just like, it's such a fun business. Um, and they kind of had an idea on how much they were selling. They had no idea on how much they were spending. They were just like spending money on the credit card and the debit card and just like having some cash in hand and paying their suppliers and anything. Um, so they, they kind of had the idea on some part of the revenue because their bank account and because of Instagram and they used WooCommerce for their e-commerce um, website, but they never linked it together on like, oh, how much revenue am I having compared to my expenses? So, and they were not understanding. Um, so they didn't know the profitability. They like didn't. Like legit profit. And they didn't know their cash was there. They didn't know cash flows or how much cash they had. They or, didn't know um, their unit economics. So mm-hmm. their like margins for each one of the products. Well, I figured they that. Were just, like, they, yeah, <laughs> that's like it's a pretty tough. It's super, it's super needed. So they were just pricing depending on the market, not necessarily depending on um, cost and uh, expenses. So yeah, that, that's that's I guess a good example. So did they? So in that example, did they? Did your work discover something that had them like change the price or spend less somewhere? Like, did they change it in their actions because they discovered something that, you know, it wasn't a feasible business model? You know, I don't know. They were making a mistake over spending somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a great question. So so we learned, I would say, three things. Uh, first of all, that they should be focusing on B two B businesses instead of B2C, because they saw that B2B sales had a higher profit than B2C. So that's something, that's a big thing they did. Um, They started selling more and focusing more on B2B, which means for them selling to restaurants and selling to um, just like shops and businesses. Um, So, so, they, that's what they did, the first thing. The second thing they did is they I think they raised prices a little bit. Um, and, and secondly, they started to manage cash flows way better. Uh, so like whenever they knew they were going to need some cash, they would prepare in advance, save up some cash, and then save it for the next month instead of expending it. Um, so yeah, just like cash flow management and the focus of the business from B2C to B2B, I think were the two biggest changes. I mean, that first one's a huge change. That's an entire business model shift. The, 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 the second part, though, uh, or the second part, the reason the price is like, that's what I was imagining, something like that happening. But what I'm curious of is the third part, which is you come in, you kind of, fix all this or create all this, I guess, essentially it's not even fixing because it didn't really exist probably. Right. And I mean, yeah, I guess in some cases it's kind of fixing it. It really depends, but it's a, it's also a hard problem to tackle because if at, at the end someone has to, I mean, we're talking no API integrations with our bank accounts. Right. So, so we can't really have every 
dime, every penny that goes into the bank account and then understand what's going on with that. Because there's a lot of cash involved over here as well. Wait, why not? Either, it's just like, at least in, in, I mean, for two reasons, I would say, first of all, there's a lot of cash involved in these kind of businesses. You usually yeah. pay the suppliers in cash because at least in Mexico, they're part really? of the formal economy. So, so they, some of them don't even have a bank account. Um, that's what I'd say. So wait, a wait. lot of cash. Is that common? Oh yeah. And um, what's the core reason? Is it a distrust in like government or is it something else? Like what's the issue? I mean, it just happens, not happens to be, but the thing about businesses in Mexico is that almost 50% of our economy is informal. And by informal, I mean, they are not registered businesses and some of them don't have bank accounts and some of them just manage the business with cash and with paper and pen. Like, like, like the government doesn't know they exist. Is that what informal means? Yeah. Also, they don't pay taxes. They, I mean, yes, I guess yeah. they know they exist for, because of other kind of data, but they don't really pay taxes or at least not directly. 50%? About 50%. Yeah. And which is huge. Well, that re that makes me think, are they adopting crypto? I'm kind of curious. Is that being looked at at all? Oh, they most people don't even know about crypto. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I would say no. Central America, like, like when I used to go to like Colombia, Guatemala, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but like people in um, Latin America tend to not want to put their credit card in like an Amazon. <laughs> they're, they're the last people that want to do that, like trusting it. I learned that yeah. culture-wise. It's, I don't it's, know what the reason is. It's definitely growing. Um, like more people are having smartphones and uh, more people are getting into bank accounts and credit accounts and more people are trusting those those platforms. But for, for now, I think there's a huge opportunity in LATAM or in Latin America because, because of this, because a lot of people are just managing their cash flows in cash or in their bank accounts or in pen and paper. And we don't really have a lot of technology like API connections to your bank account to really understand what's going on with your business. So that's why we have to start from scratch with something very basic, like actually every day just doing a summary of what you sold and a summary of what expenses you had. And just, just go back to the basics and not even think about something as complex as Causal or Brex or any other software or QuickBooks, which is like super popular in the US. And it's like very obvious that everyone should do, should use QuickBooks, right? I mean, I was just thinking like you guys, I, mean, I probably, uh, what's it called? Payoneer and also like, I mean, I would never recommend this, but PayPal because their fees are ridiculous. But like, you know, that just tends to be really popular. Like, you know, people in like Philippines, stuff like that. Um, but these businesses, these 50% that don't have a bank account, is it, are they choosing not to have one or are they not able to get one? And is it mostly that they're choosing not to have one? And if so, what's the reason? I mean, but when, when I mean they are part of the informal economy, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't have a bank account. They might oh. have a bank account. Um, they might use it for their business. They might use it for their personal stuff. 
but they, they probably have a bank account. Not everyone, though. Um, what they don't usually have is a, um, like, they, they pay taxes, like, uh, and they consider themselves or they register any type of business, like an LLC or something like that. Um, so if, I mean, in, in many cases, if they don't have a bank account, they just use cash and, and they, but like, and that, that's how it works. So like people in the U.S., I imagine if they could choose to not pay taxes or pay taxes, they would choose not to and keep all their money. Is it, is, I'm trying to figure out what the reason is. Is it like, the, is it like a lack of enforcement? Like, is there more of an intimate, like people would let, there's very rarely businesses or is it the infrastructure of the system of like, or in the U.S. it's more organized, even though it's not organized whatsoever, but with like somewhat keeping track of like taxes and what companies exist and quarterly stuff. Like I'm trying to get to the core. Like, like I mean, what's the thesis? That's like the million dollar question. And if you have that answer, that like you're going to be prime minister or something, because I don't, I don't feel like anyone has that answer and it's so complex and complicated. And the answer is all of the above, like everything you said, sums up. Um, we, our tax system is actually not terribly bad, at least in my opinion. Um, it's, it's. Can you describe it a little bit? I'm not familiar with it. Our, our, our tax, we have like the equivalent of the IRS. We call it SAT, um, S-A-T. And uh, we have federal taxes. Uh, I took the SATs. Case. I'm Sorry? just kidding. Go ahead. I took the SATs. Okay, no, oh, well, that's, so, that, that's a different kind of complex stuff. Um, so, so we have this um, equivalent of the IRS, and um, we have these uh, profit tax, pretty much, which is uh, about thirty percent for businesses, um, similar to you guys. And then we have the equivalent of the sales tax to you, which in our case is sixteen uh, percent. And VAT, right? Like and twenty percent. Yeah, that's you guys VAT. actually have a lot of you guys have more taxes, I think, than we do. If it's similar to like Colombia and stuff, it's about the same, as far as I know. It's like if you okay. see it as a percentage, if you're a business or an individual, or an employer or something, and if you see it as a percentage, I think we are just about the same. Uh, if you consider both sales tax and state tax and federal tax and everything. Okay. Um, so the, the big difference, the big, big difference between Mexico and the U.S. regarding taxes is that in Mexico, every invoice, every invoice for sales and expenses goes through the SAT to the SAT, equivalent to the IRS. In, in the U.S., you have everything on paper. So you, you don't even, the invoice or the receipts are like just a PDF. In, in Mexico, everything goes to a database. Every invoice goes to a database that is owned and checked and reviewed by the SAT. Does anyone so, audit them? They do. Yeah. So they know absolutely every <laughs> movement between sales and expenses for companies and for individuals who are actually paying taxes. So that's very interesting. Um, actually, it's like so, they use like so much technology now that they just uh, 
had this new program where they calculate the taxes for you and uh, because they know everything and then you just like pay it. So, so now like they, this is like something new where that's smart, by the way, they just like, they know all the sales you had because of this uh, tracking, this factura, this like kind of invoice that is connected to the database automatically. So now they just take off like 2.5% of whatever invoices you had. And, so and people don't it. have to file. It's more of like it, like shifting. Maybe they do, but like shifting from people having to what people go through with taxes, like a whole thing, like filing. All this, whereas it's just the government taking the initiative, and like they just yeah. you know it's much it's frictionless. Yeah, they well, they do not do it for everyone. They only do it for, I guess, like super small businesses that are starting out. I think you 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 have to be a one person business. And uh, there's a cap on how much sales you can have under this kind of program. Um, I think it's like $200,000 for the equivalent in Mexican pesos. Um, it's not for anyone, but uh, it's kind of convenient. What, so, I mean, what they say is, okay, since you're using these invoices and since we know all of the invoices related to right. your equivalent of social security number or your but, ID as a citizen, then we know enough about you to see like how much you're selling and how much revenue your small business has. That's kind of so big just, like, keep it simple. And instead of having you to go to the trouble of submitting your expenses and then keeping account of all your income and all of that, let's just like take a look at what we know about you and take a small percentage, which is, Two point between one and three percent. So that's it's a new smarter that they have than the other way around. I think the only argument is that's kind of fucking scary that they know every little thing about you or your business and like is that appropriate? <laughs> I guess that's kind yep. of like the only thing. Um, yeah, true. I'm not really into that stuff, um, but uh, some people maybe people like being watched. Um, but um, sure. as far as the overall strategy, it makes perfect sense. And I think that's going to end up happening in the U.S. because they they essentially are going to know every single thing. You know, right now, yeah. our monetary system uses one relational database, like to allocate, like for inflation, like printing money and allocating it to people. It's literally like one SQL database, like for all of America. Like, that's how inefficient it is. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. And... Uh, and the people who do their expenses taxes probably don't even do it correctly. So if they know everything, like you can request in the U.S. an IRS transcript, and that's essentially everything about you from the past year, and you it's your taxes essentially, and that's what you just you just put that into the forms. There's nothing to calculate. It, they already have it. Um, very similar. Um, interesting. So taxes is interesting too because. Such a problem. Uh, yeah, and the, so I'm talking about niche. I'm very fascinated in, you know, completing projects with a team of the best people for every phase, right? But they may not know one another because they're not all, you know, they all work for themselves if they're the best. But to be able to work as a team for a project because someone's the best at creating this software portal with Airtable and then the next person's better at the, you know, and it flows, right? Yeah. And so that's how I came across this tool called WorkLayer. It's called worklayer.com. Okay. 
And um, you can go to the website and see it's kind of PwC is one of their clients, but it's like this job matching idea, right? And smartmatchapp.com is a is a similar idea, but that's more of like a plug-in as opposed to like an entire platform. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is with worklayer.com, that's the technology they created, that platform of job routing, I guess, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And to make people's utilization, especially in finance, to be as close to 100 as possible. Utilization is a big measurement and big for accounting that people don't know, which mm-hmm. basically means how many billing hours you have versus your total hours. Okay. Um, and you just want to, the secret, if you're, if you do work a big four, just make everything as billing hours because people yeah. just think that you're a better worker for some reason, even though it's like, you're yeah. not, <laughs> uh, yeah. it could mean you're, it could mean you're slower. Um, but anyways, did you used to work for a big four? Yeah. PwC in Bermuda. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like you seem to know a lot about them. Yeah. I mean, I did it for two years. I did it with my first job out of school. It made me realize it's the exact opposite of what I want to do with my life, and but I did it in Bermuda where I didn't know anyone. It's an island, yeah, and it was awesome, like living on the ocean at 22 and whatnot. And I worked with cool people, and uh, but and did a lot of taxes too, like high net worth individuals and like hedge funds, private equity because we were offshore. But it, it just not, I don't know, man. It's a weird culture. Yeah. No, no. That's why I did a one-way plane ticket to New York, and yeah. I only worked with startups since then. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, well, completely the opposite. <laughs> Wait, what? What you said? Completely the opposite. Completely the opposite. Uh, in fact, when I decided to leave PwC because they do two-year contracts, um, I literally wanted to go to New York City. Because it was the polar opposite of what I was living with the island life, so that was like that was my intent at the time too, and I love madness and chaos, and it's what I prefer. And we were talking about Vancouver and like just cities. I love that. Um, but this whole work layer thing—the reason why I brought it up—is they raised like four million dollars, or probably more since then. But it wasn't for work layer, which is the proprietary technology. No, 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 no. They didn't raise money on that. What they raised money on was what they, what's called TaxFile, F-Y-L-E. If you go to TaxFile.com, it's their system, but I'm just using it for taxes only. Like the late, you can brand it as anything. We can use it for, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, auditing, whatever. They raised money on not the tech core technology, but the niche of taxes as a layer on top of it. Yeah. And I found that very fascinating that it wasn't an investment in the actual tool, but it was actually the fact that taxes are so much trouble that having a way to submit something in a portal and essentially have it like streamlined and, you know, routed and done for you was enough to warrant its own investment away from the proprietary technology. So, Taxes are huge, and Intuit's a gigantic company, and they have like a monopoly on it. It's, right, you I know? think that's, that's super interesting to see they invested, and I'm not super surprised they invested in the use case rather than the tool. Because <laughs> why not? Everyone, everyone hates taxes, and like there's a huge opportunity over there, but they are so complicated that no one wants to do it. 
but the ones but why that not? do it right. But why not have the technology? And then if you do taxes out of it over here, you get that. If you do, you know, some other services over here, you get that. Like, because you have the core platform. What's What's another use case besides the um, for what do you say the workday? Work uh, no, it's called worklayer. Uh, work layer. But, okay. But other other examples are um, anything that's like agency work, like a creative agency design okay. work. Let's say like UI UX, something yep. like that. Um, graphic design, like a design pickle or something like that. Anything that has to go from one person to the next, and is service based, but so you need okay. human talent, and it there's inefficiencies in how the work's assigned because you don't really know what everyone's working on all this stuff. But if you have like this algorithm in place, um, they show it pretty clearly on the homepage. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I'm taking a look at them now. Or, or, or smart match app is a much cooler website to look at, but that's like an add on in an Airtable Webflow marketplace. But like it's the same idea. It's this, and this matchmaking concept and combining people like in work layer into teams from across yeah. the world. So, so if you have a database, and so what I, what I build is this massive database of every maker in the world, like literally, and their best skill, their second best skill, their third best skill, the best tools, the best industries they're best at, their showcases. Like I have scraped the whole internet. <laughs> yeah. And the whole hypothesis was, okay, we're going to internally have this kind of marketplace where the best people work on each part of the project. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And it was, you know, intentionally, but by accident, not knowing that that's something that people want. And if you look at all these like marketplaces with this matching capability where, you know, instead of the best person with the best salesmanship, for example, winning every deal, it's actually the most person who should win it based on merit. And they're that they're the best because a lot of people, you know, sell no code projects or services and it's really just because the other person doesn't know much about no code and they're a great salesman or saleswoman and they're not really the best maker. Um, and so, uh, this idea of ensuring it goes to people who are going to give you an a product that is of high quality is being applied in all these different marketplaces and niches in a way that I, it's so unusual, even with job matching, like if you look mm-hmm. at like brain trust, which is a decentralized one, um it's um it's interesting it's interesting so anyways back to uh so what no code tools do you use beside do you use anything else from a professional standpoint besides coda oh yeah yeah definitely i i use um i use zapier a lot i use causal i use doric to build landing pages oh. I got the I, lifetime deal of that. I don't oh, use it. Though. Same. It's it's so good. Um, I use um, Outseta for one of my projects. I think um, it's the best no code tool in my I opinion. Think it's amazing. It's oh yeah. It's so good. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone will start using Outseta, and that's it. And I think like for now, anyone who's building a SaaS business or a membership kind of business, they should use Outseta. No question. And that's it. Like, no questions asked. It's just the best one. The value um, versus, like, the cost and all of it. It's so disproportionate. True. You're getting yeah. so much more value. Yeah, I love that one. Um, what else do I... I use Airtable as well. Um, do you stack by? 
No, I, I do not. You should use StackBy. And founder of StackBy was the first guest on the show. Um, but StackBy is basically Airtable, but they do API integrations, automations to the cell level, which oh, is interesting. really interesting. Okay. So it's kind of cool what you can do. It's legit. That's super cool. Okay. I No, I, I didn't know about that. And their iOS app is way better than Airtable's. Okay. Yeah, I only I only use um, Airtable for a couple of use cases. Um, I like use Webflow as well. Oh. Um, Wait, and you use Webflow and Doric? And Doric, yes. What do you just make multiple websites? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I just like I was experimenting and I built a couple of landing pages on on Doric, and then I used Webflow for one of my projects. Um, which is like a financial calculator. So it's pretty easy to embed models uh -huh. in there. Actually, what I did is I built the financial calculators in Causal, and then you know how you can embed them. And then I embedded them on Webflow and I created a sign up process using- It's like Calc, Calc app, or there's something called like Calc app or financial, it's a, something way? like that. But people love calculators, by the way. It's, people it's, love uh, calculators, yeah. Oh, they love calculators. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. How would you t describe the learning curve of Webflow? Hard and kind of at least hard and tough for me. A lot of videos. And I'm still a complete beginner. I, I ended up buying a template and just customizing the template. That's, that's what I did. So it's like for my, my, my current website, it's super basic. Um, yeah, it's just like a very simple dashboard. You can log in and sign up using member stack. And then you have yeah, like your personal dashboard with your calculators. And that's it. It's like nothing complex at all. But uh, Do you use the back end in, uh, in Webflow? I, I use the CMS, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's more I, complicated. Like that I don't think everyone can do. I think Webflow is actually tough. Or for sure. I think, yeah, it seems like it. It seems to be great if you are a designer. Um, oh. And like, it seems to be by far probably the best one to actually do good decisions sure. around UA, UI and uh, UX. So um, I've heard like designers just love it. They love it. They love it. Yeah. Well, that, that's because they used to use WordPress and WordPress I can, it can make me throw up. Like I... <laughs> I despise that tool. I, yeah. I, I yeah. never like Then that WooCommerce example actually earlier, do they use WordPress? Why aren't they using Shopify? I don't know. Um, <laughs> they should. I don't know. I really don't know. And they are using WordPress and, and I hate and, it. But you can use with Shopify. Sorry, I'm getting off track, but they can use Mesa. It's getmesa, G-E-T-M-E-S-A.com, which is essentially a Zapier or Alloy Automation which are both Zapiers, but for e-commerce or SyncSpider, which also had a lifetime deal too. Those are the three, but yeah, I, I, I'm, that would just I'm, automate everything. Bam. I'm taking a look at Mesa because I've never heard of them. And yeah. you're totally right. They would they could save so much time. <laughs> oh my God. And no, almost nobody knows this tool. They do yeah. yeah I, I look at, what, look, look at the use cases. It's unbelievable. And that's, yeah. You know what? Look at alloy automation. I, I'm going to tell you, I think, why it happens. I think it's at least for the type of 
companies I sometimes work with, they just go out there and ask their friends for a developer, whoever, yeah. just like any developer. And like, I want to build a website and I want to build an e-commerce platform. So they ask for a like full stack developer that's going to build a customized website for them, which is going which to be not super expensive though. and it's going to be super expensive and it's going to be useless and it's and they're gonna just need not going to take to maintain it. Exactly. <laughs> you're going to maintain it. And then guess what? They're going to charge you for it. So it's just going to be a pain in the ass. So that's what happens. And then someone just like says, oh, I know a friend that worked with a developer. And then they did that website and whatever. And they just go and talk to that developer. And they tell you they're going to build a customized website for you using blah, blah, blah. They don't really care about it. And then they just build something. Um, so they don't even know about Shopify or any other solutions. They just go for whatever the developers tells them to. So, and I sometimes they're like happens. just developers. They just find on you know Fiverr things like that, and they're you know like it's the same story, and everyone gets. Um, and then there's also Zenfi too, which they can even use, which is kind of neat. Uh, I think it's Zenfi.com. I love they founded Nintex. It's a G Suite specific iPass integration platform as a service. So it's Zapier, but native to g suite oh, so if you use g suite yeah i put it in our chat um and then get me so you already looked at but like those do, do, you, right do you have like a database of all of these tools I do. or yeah, do they do. live rent free in in your brain oh they live rent free in my brain but i do <laughs> uh have a database of like every tool every showcase template every published no code project like every I've scraped everything, but I've never used it to create anything. I don't know why. Like people, there's people who make a great living, like side hustle stack of like just getting traffic for people to figure out the best tech stack and all this stuff. And like, that's what's in my head. And that's what I have a database of, but I'm not just have no passion to, to create yeah. that. But, um, but I'm telling you like those three tools, I mean, you even looked even parabola, I mean, easily yeah. one of the most underrated tools ever. Um, is and especially with e-commerce, they specialize with Shopify. If you go to Parabola, their number one thing that they promote is how they streamline Shopify. So, but that's also why Bolt is a genius idea because you might not even know Bolt. The Bolt is basically a competitor. You mean the one-click payment? Right, and the, what they did was is not everybody uses Shopify, right? People use WordPress and stuff like that where they would use a bolt. And they had these network effects where they would get each, they would get an additional company. And for every company that, they're totally unrelated to one another. But if you go to a company that you bought clothes from and it was bolt, and then I went to your shoe store online and they use bolt, well, your data is saved. And so the more companies that use Bolt, the bigger this one-click checkout you know, yeah. is, is easier. And they've built their own ecosystem. Like Shopify, it's easy. Like they can do yeah. one-click check in Amazon because it's all within there. Yeah. Bolt did it like distributed. It's kind of right. genius. Right, right. Let's see how that plays out in the future. I'm super interested. Especially well, after what happened right now. Fast and all of that. Yeah, I mean... Well, he's a great CEO, too. He's a great follow on Twitter, actually. Ryan Verlo. It's super controversial. He's a, called out the Stripe Mafia. It's a, it's a crazy thread. <laughs> and then he ended up not being the CEO of Bolt anymore, but he says he stepped down. 
Um, oh, interesting. I wonder what happened, really. He's, oh, he, he basically said you can't compete against Stripe because what Stripe did was is they're like the most valuable company. And what they did was they got every single investor. Yeah. So, so since they got every investor, you can't have a competitor because you can't have them as an investor because it's a conflict of interest. That was the strategy. Yeah. And he said, and he called it like a mob. Huh. Like, I mean, how do you compete if you can't go for everybody's invested in Stripe True. all the top people? True. I mean, is it, is it, is it, is it illegal? No, but is it ethical that it, you know, it definitely it's, raises questions. Yeah, it's a pretty aggressive move yeah. from Stripe because what I imagine happened is just like the founder or the CFO or whoever just went out there and like knocked on the doors of absolutely everyone and it's like, do you want to invest? Just like invest whatever you want, whatever amount. And I'll everybody wanted in want. because yeah, of course. It, you know, it was it was a no brainer. It's the darling were, of Silicon Valley. It, it seems like they were doing exactly the opposite of many companies, which is just like stop talking to investors. Like, oh no, the round is just full. There's no space for you. And Stripe was doing the opposite. It's a good strategy, but it's it's amazing he built Bolt into, with all that known, into a $12 billion, $12 billion company. I mean, that's amazing. Right, yeah. But his, his, um, his thread is unbelievable and i'm trying to just oh it says the tweet was deleted oh oh wow or they, by the way one of my videos uh this is interesting so bitcoin conference in miami just happened yeah and supposedly in the middle of the night they were taken off like uh their youtube channel was shut down at, like randomly by youtube and it seemed like it was like a bot like an algorithm type thing yeah because they talked to youtube before and made sure like you know everything would be fine and it got taken down and it got censored. And I had a clip of them talking about that takedown because I thought it was interesting. And I've had it up on YouTube for since that, like a week or something. And it's gotten thousands of views. And today, like an hour, two hours ago, I got an email that it's been taken down, that I need to, that it's it, it's against their code of conduct. So I have one strike out of three. And I need to do like this school. I can't post anything until I do like this um, type of like, uh, you know, like what's right to say and what's wrong to say, like school or something. They said I briefly looked at it, but they've taken it down a a week and a half after I did it. And like 2000 and tons of and there were like 10, 12 comments on it. Like it was the and they took it down today. Were were you talking about like. Do they give any sort of explanation on what so, exactly you mentioned that broke so, so, the rules? Yeah, so that's what's so interesting. They, I saved it. They, uh, they did. They said um, it, it was really broad. Uh, it was something I, like it, it was. It literally just happened like before our call, and I was like, "That's so weird. It's been yeah. up. It's been getting all these views." And I think getting all those views is not good or something. Let's see I, what it I says. wonder if it's something related to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or whatever, or if it's something related to mentioning YouTube and their censorship or whatever. Is that not allowed? Can I not do that? Here, it says, here it is. Here, so it happened tonight at 8.30 p.m. on the dot, which is odd. 
That seems like a bot. It says, yeah. due to a copyright takedown notice that we received, we had to take down your video from YouTube. Video title, Bitcoin Magazine gets silenced by big tech for unknown reason. Bitcoin, Bitcoin 2022 hashtag. Um, takedown issued by YouTube. So they reported to themselves. That's what it's essentially saying. That means your video can no longer be played on YouTube. You have one copyright strike. Out of three, then. Aren't you allowed to clip videos? Or no? It was actually a YouTube short, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But That's maybe if it was them, like their channel, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. But um, it looks like it says takedown issued by YouTube LLC. I don't know. But oh. well, that sucks. It, I mean, it doesn't matter. But it was like it's a, it's like two weeks late. That's what's so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. But um, yeah, it sounds like yeah. Either someone filed a complaint oh, or something. Someone filed a complaint for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It says there was. It says something was filed. Okay. Okay. But. Huh. I mean, it happens if you wanna if you wanna get famous. I guess you, that's what's gonna. Happen. I don't want to get famous. <laughs> I have no interest. I have no interest in being famous. I just thought it was interesting, and I wanted other people's perspectives. But yeah. whatever, that's a little off topic. So, what do you think? Have you ever done like live tutorials? I have, yeah, um, live build ups and then stuff. Just a couple of times. Um, not pretty good at it. I think it should be better. But <laughs> what do you uh, mean? I think it's fun. I think it's super fun. I think it's super hard because yeah, you you like can't mess up or like if you do, yes, you can. I mean, you do, but then you need to know why you're messing up, right? I think that's the hard part about it. Like it's fine. You're not gonna get it right, but at least you have to talk out loud why you're making a mistake. Like, I think that's, I think that's pretty hard in general. Like it is. sometimes, sometimes you, you build something and then it's not working. And most of the times you kind of know why it's not working and then have to fix it. But when you're building something and then it just like fucks up and then you have no idea why, what are you going to say if you're building life? Like, Oh, I just have to fix this, but I have no idea how to do it. That's so, exactly what you say. What's wrong with that? I, I think I think that I that puts a lot of pressure and it's like I, I think at least in, in what my pressure? that what sorry? people think of you? No, 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 no. I don't care about that because I don't know any like I don't know anything about anything. I just like whatever tools <laughs> I use whatever tools I use, I know twenty percent of what's actually possible. So I don't uh. think that's a problem. What I what I think is that um you have to have storytelling on what you're saying to people. And if you want to get to a certain point or a certain outcome, if you have a goal after the session, let's just like remake how you're going to get to that outcome. So I think that's the hardest part. Just like have, have a start and have an end with a certain outcome and how to get there. I think that if you can do that, then doing live builds and live tutorials is super fun. So... That's interesting that you just said that because this is the first time I've heard this and I found it's not the first time I heard it because I was also the recipient of an Airtable expert of, but here's the setup. So uh, uh, I interviewed 
the top Zapier expert in the world uh, before this show, um, which will be coming out, which is Andy. And um, he's like the beast. And uh, he's the guy who gets hired if anyone's looking to outsource Zapier or Integromat or Make. That is, mm-hmm. that branding is not great. Yeah, um, but anyways, pretty awkward. this is, he doesn't do like projects, like engagements or like long terms. All he does is, and has more demand than he can even take on. So it's how much he wants to work is he'll charge, I didn't, you know, X amount of money. Okay. To book an appointment that has a certain scope, like of what needs to be fixed or built. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's one hour and he does it live in that hour with them and it records and then sends them the video back. Or I think I added that in, like told me you should probably do that. Oh, okay. And so he essentially is building live every, that's his job. Like one after another, like eight different live sessions a day. I I like that. I found that fascinating. Yeah. I love that. I think, I think that's super useful for both him and his customers because (laughs) Then, then you can walk them through. What I really like about doing lives is that you get to walk them through the actual problem instead of the solution. So if you just like focus on how to think about the problem, then they will learn how to solve it. And I, and I think the same applies to any any tool. So yeah, that's a great idea. Um, is that unusual? I think it is. I mean, I, I haven't heard about a lot of people doing it all the time. I think people do it once in a while, but not not with everyone, I guess. I guess a lot of people also feel confident spending some time trying out the solution before they share it with someone else, which is also fine. But I love this approach as well because it's just like way faster. Or yeah, both of and them, right? you don't have to worry about like re- retention. Like what goes into like a project is you know the project management. All like that's a whole different like beast. True. Like you know, like that's a person or more. True. And uh, if you're just fixing these hour long things, you, when you leave work like that, you're done. That like nothing True. care. Like yeah. that's amazing. And I mean, if he, they need something in the future, they'll come to you. Yeah. He, he obviously must be pretty good at this to be able yeah. to, like, I think successfully he's have... The num- he's the number one ranked guy. Yeah, true. But, but, but there's... I know other people who do this, too. Um, he is technically the best, but there are people who are also really good. And, you know, someone I know at Airtable, specifically. Yeah. And um, they'll charge a couple hundred dollars. You pay it up front. Um, you get on an hour call live, you share screens, they log in, whatever it's recorded. It's sent back to you afterwards and it's fixed whatever you need it fixed or, you know, built. Um, but if you're looking to like build a product, it's almost for all it's existing user. It's, it's something that an existing product or an existing thing that already, ha- it's not like, like people who are coming to me were like, I want to build um a uh i don't know a a b2b marketplace for home cleaning services 
like the entire thing, you know, not like, you know, the automation from the onboarding form to, you know, the CRM and email marketing from outside. So I don't know. Um, really? I, I would have. Yeah. I actually think it's possible to do it with someone just with a problem or an idea, because then what you could, what I'm thinking is you could talk to them, you could, you could like teach them how to think about the different possible features they would need and what kind of tools they are available, right? Like you just mentioned a CRM and then you just mentioned automation and then you just mentioned like something else. So if they know they need a CRM, a automation, a like pipeline, that's, I guess, good enough for a lot of people. That's my discovery calls. That's the, the blueprint is given, you know, like that's the whole thing is like just trying to educate, not sell. But, but I did that once actually where, um, Someone's like, I don't need you to do the whole project, do it, but I need help figuring out like, you know, I don't know how to do this certain part or what are the best tools to do it. And so it was more of like, a, I would guide it. It was like coaching almost. And like, I'd guide him through it while he was building it and maybe I'd tweak it and stuff like that. And it, right. it was my favorite thing. It was awesome. It was so much easier. Like it was way more enjoyable. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that there's a lot of people out there that are looking for that. And for some reason, I just only came across it that one time. I, I don't know. Maybe I was yeah. seeking bigger projects that, for some reason. I don't know. But I like that strategy of, of build, you know, literally build in public. Um, yeah. And uh, but I, I meant more in like an educational form of like, you know, like I what's his name, Aaron or whatever from uh, Airtable. He does uh, like hour long live sessions, like literally at, what every week or something. Like right. he builds like a whole product. Yeah. Um, that's ballsy, first of all. And yeah, yeah. Um, it is. And it's probably making him really, really good, but it's for educational. And he actually started doing that, I think. And then Airtable hired him to work in their education department. So that just shows you like, if you become the master of your domain or like you become the person recognized for, you know, notion, productivity, planner templates or something like that, that you might very well be hired by like, for example, no code report, like the newsletter was writing about Webflow all the time. And guess what? It was because he wanted to work there. Then he got hired by Webflow as a project. It just, there's such an abundance of opportunity. And it seems like I hear more often than not that, there's nothing or like life's not fair and all this stuff. And I think it's never been better to be human in general, like especially professionally because it's very legitimate to be like, if you want to like a digital nomad or like work for yourself, work your own hours and like make a good living. Like, unless like I don't know why you need, tens of millions of dollars or maybe you want it. And if you do, that's great. But like, you know, maybe you only need, you know, 95,000 and you could do that by creating or providing services with Coda, with Notion and like doing a few projects a week. Like that's very real. And I don't think people understand that. And a lot of people are using this stuff either internally for their business or by themselves. And they want to work on their own, but don't know how to do it, but they're actually doing it. They just don't know. Like, I don't know why they don't know, but that there is such a huge demand. Yeah. It's, 
it's endless and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you could provide value to some other entrepreneur or, or even a business in some sort, especially with automation or some new, especially internal stuff, like internal tools mm-hmm. is the biggest need ever because they usually suck. So like the retools of the world are real smart. Like you can provide a lot of value in terms of like operational efficiency, especially in finance and accounting, especially in finance and accounting more than anything, instead of copying and pasting in Google Sheets and pulling from this database and telling the engineering team to run this report and they don't want to run that report because they hate talking to finance. And then you got to go chase down the sales team because, you know, all this stuff. And that stuff can be centralized and you don't need to be technical at all. You just need to put in some time. And like you said, with what, like you, you just watch videos or, you know, perhaps you uh, just keep trying and you just work at it, but you don't need to have, you don't need to know anything about code at all. You just need to know like algebra. It it will eventually happen. I think like we're kind of shifting from a employee economy to a um, creator economy now and it will eventually happen and all the old schoolers like accountants um, and uh, like finance people in small companies or whatever I think they will eventually realize there's a huge opportunity there and then everyone will do it um, I think it's just about how does it right happen now, it's just about time I think it, it will happen in the next five to ten years hopefully um, so what does that world look like in all seriousness, as a consumer, what is what does it look like? Like, I need to do my taxes, and I don't know how. Am I other just nine million independent people, and I gotta go find mine, or like, is it curate? Like, how does it work? Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about it. To start with, talking about taxes and finances, I think we're gonna have so many AI assistants to do all of that. That is gonna be so easy. First of all, secondly. Finally, everything is going to be connected through API. So, like, you're not going to have to bring data interconnectedness. You're not going to have to bring data from one place to another just to take it to visualize it to another place. Uh, it's like right now, it's just on, everything's working on silos, right? You have your bank account, and then you have your taxes over here, and then you have your expenses here, and then they don't talk to each other, here, and they don't talk to each other, and it blows my mind how how messed <laughs> up everything is. So and in a business, day, when that when doesn't that happen, happen, when the platforms don't, don't cross, cross, guess what? Guess what? The, the humans don't cross. cross. And then yeah. they're not on the same page. And then you can't execute properly when HR is in line with finance and hiring and budget. Like, yeah. The platforms need to cross for the humans to cross. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. And that's a technology problem, but we also have a human problem, right? So, like, I guess what I mean by human problem is if we get one day to have all of the information under one place and then we get the best APIs to connect to anything and then uh-huh. we get the best automation tools. At the end, if we get all of that and your AI assistant or whatever, we still need humans to understand the basics of finances and how to run a business. So it's also an educational problem, which means that a lot of business owners right now don't really know how to run a company. They don't really know how to understand that. So if we can get both, like, I would bet on both tech companies, but also education companies. 
because we also need to teach people how to actually understand like reskilling, upskilling, upskilling. Type, exactly. People who are ready professionals. Yeah, yeah. So right. if we can do both, I think it's just going to be so many opportunities. So I'm with you with half of that, and then I would push back on another part, which is, I think what's going to happen is people that and we're sticking to finance and accounting. There are so many roles and positions that exist where people are simply entering data, doing something they really hate and they don't even enjoy it, but they're behind the computer all day and they're just, you know, putting in, you know, numbers where a robot would be much better than they are. Right. And they take no days off or anything like that. But you don't just automation doesn't just, you know, get rid of that person. No, what happens is, and what becomes the only differentiator of any business in the future is when everybody has their accounting systems completely optimized because we have that tech with RPA and iPasses. I believe that we have the optimal accounting system you could possibly have. So eventually every business will be equal. So if they're all equal, well, how do you stand out, right? Then you're going to have operational efficiency that's equal. The only differentiator is going to be one thing, in my opinion, and that's customer service, customer experience. Everything from a technical standpoint is going to be equal for the most part. And so it's reallocating that person who is typing behind the keyboard into high, you know, calling um, Jack. Hi, Jackie. Um, how was your meal today? Or what did you think of your order? Is there anything? You, I can't believe you ordered the pink shoes again. Did you get the right size? Like that sort of stuff. And that personalized experience is going to be the differentiator. That's my guess. Yeah. I think they get reallocated to customer-facing roles. People become facing outwards as opposed to behind a computer, which we shouldn't be doing anyways, in my opinion. And and sales, yeah. And like we've we've been yeah. talking about um, tools and platforms and technology, but nothing is going to change without us, right? The humans. So like, there's yep. sort of a huge mi- change in mindset that's going to happen from I'm a consumer of all of these platforms to, oh, I can actually build this for myself and my team. And then that's like, it's going to unblock all of what you said. That is a very fucking profound statement. Like, that's that's the shift that has to happen. And I think mental, that think that's a map, that is a, not a natural mind shift. Like, you, you don't, naturally go from thinking like I'm a consumer to, oh, we have, we're in this platform revolution, so to speak, right? And yeah. I actually could be on the other. You don't, off, our brains aren't kind of wired to flip like that, but I, I guess I it's think just a matter of education. Are. I think they are because... Well, are humans like, don't like change. Baby, when you're a baby and when you're a kid, you actually build stuff. Like you, you build yeah. Legos and you like you play... You like build a puzzle, like you when you're a baby and a kid, you are a creator. And then something yes. happens at school that they tell you, no, stop creating. Just you get programmed. Shut up and listen to the teacher and just like consume. So it's something is fucked up in the education process <laughs> and school that we go from creators to shut up, sit down, listen, and then it happens for eight years. So now you're out of school and instead of building something, you go to a company and you do the same. So And you hate it. And then 30 years later, you're like, I hated my job, which you spent 55% of your life doing. And you can't go back in time. 
Like yeah. you that I never even thought of it that way. I'm definitely going to repeat that a lot. We're cause I always think of like what we are in our purest form. And that's at, as young kids, when you don't know it, like that's natural. You're not trying to live up to, you don't know that stuff society. And you're right. You create humans are creative people and yeah. that, but we get programmed to be a certain way. And what took me a long time to understand is this programming is just something made up by other people who are also just winging it and are definitely no smarter than you or I or anyone else. They're just other people. And who even like, why are we assuming they're right? Like whoever they are, like just because something's been done a certain way for a long period of time, doesn't mean it's right. That's where people get confused. Like the length of time something's happened has nothing to do with it being right or wrong. It, yeah. it has nothing. It just means it went on for a long period of time. Re- okay. Wh- why? Why do you feel like the, the longer it passes, the more opportunities to learn or fail? So why do you feel like time doesn't really matter? No, uh, time doesn't matter in the sense of, oh, well, this has been around a hundred years, so it has to be right. Got it. Like, no. Okay. Um, I like. I think we had slavery for thousands of years. I don't think that was really right, you know? Yeah. yeah. But you didn't really think any other way, those people at the time, because that's, that's all they yeah. knew. You know, it's just life how it was, yeah. as messed up it is, as it is. But, like, more so in our, what we're talking about, which is, like, especially in accounting and finance, actually, more than anything else. Ready? Yes. Yeah. You were, did pen and paper bookkeeping, okay? And you had a tremendously successful business. Then Microsoft Excel comes out. And there were people who held on to that pen and paper and were not going to switch to Excel. And then people who switched to Excel ended up taking out those other people because they became way more efficient, right? Mm-hmm. And then when Excel transformed into, you know, like Zapier and Coda and Notion and, and all this crazy stuff and Airtable, people held on to Excel and that it's the you know not going to change. And now those people get it's this cyclical thing that keeps happening. It's people get very passionate. They they get very romantic about what got them to where they were, and what got them to where they were has nothing to do at all with what's going to get you from where you are now to where you want to go. They're mm-hmm. just it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a bias in the mind that is totally not logical whatsoever i mean it's make it it's not a it's not it just got you to where it did what it did it has nothing to do with applying it but people get really romantic oh it worked for me up to this point and also yeah. i don't want to learn something new and you know it's almost yeah. like oh, we're gonna have self-driving cars and it's like you know okay if you know that's gonna happen you have a choice right you have a choice if you're a taxi driver let's say you have a choice or uber's coming stuff like that you have a choice at that time, your choice was you can sign up for Uber and Lyft. Okay. A lot of people stuck to the taxi, though. Um, why? Just because that's what got them to where they were and they were comfortable, complacent. And if you know there's going to be self driving cars and trucks like we do, we know that's going to happen. We know it. We know we're very close. It's a decision. You either choose to learn another skill or you. Don't, and then you suffer the consequences of that and 
you getting automated out of that job and not being prepared for the next thing. That's a, that's a decision. That's not like an unfairly unjust, like surprise. Like yeah. this is, you know, this, even if you're listening to this now and you're just hearing it for the first time, like you still have years to figure out something. And honestly, most likely whatever you're doing right now is not what your true authentic passion is. Probably not. If you can Which is find, hard to find. It's very hard to find. It's very hard to find. It requires daily consistent habits, like in Atomic Habits with like James Clear, like small incremental habits that you are like, oh, this isn't working because you don't see anything in a month. You don't see anything in six months. But every little bit that you do every day, uh, in a year, you get 38% better. How he gets to that 38%, I still I have, I have no idea. I always forget. That it's such a random thing. But uh, how many of you are talking about passion? How, how many of your friends or colleagues or family members or whoever have found their passion? If you could like have a percentage on like all, all of my close friends, how many of them are actually working on their passion? Is it high? Or low? Well, there's also like there's also like within that, it's like, hey, uh, Jeffrey, like, are you? Yeah, I'm passionate about doing this, you know, audit. I, I'm so pumped, but you know, Jeffrey's not telling the truth. So okay. is, yeah. is, uh, are we going by like our gut feel? And no, of... I'm going, uh, yeah, let's go for gut feeling. Like All we right. know when someone is absolutely in love yeah. with whatever they're doing. And you know, right, You there's one thing, people can have no emotional intelligence and be really awkward, but every single human for some reason is good at smelling bullshit. <laughs> yeah. You can tell authenticity whether you reckon people who can't read people for the life of them know when something's not right. They True. Just know. Uh, True. I believe that at least. Um, I would say, well, first of all, I, I would preface this and say I'm very fortunate that my dad and my brother, I have two brothers, I don't know about one of them, but my dad and my one brother are, are, are found their passion. They, and so that's what I've been surrounded by. My dad, absolutely. He's a dentist and he loves dentistry. Yeah. The man loves, it's all he does. He has no hobbies. Yeah. He, he's like 66 years old. He's going to work for the next forever. He loves yeah. it. Loves it. And it's so amazing. cool to see. It's like amazing to see. And I, did, I honestly get like, there's very few things that give me as much joy than seeing other people get joy out of whatever it is they do or, you know, have to do, you know, to make a living. And they love that thing. Right. Like, that's so much of your life. Like when you're pumped, like, guess what? You're going to have better personal relationships. You're going to have better, happier families. You're going to have probably, you know, raise better kids. You're going to be in a better mood. You're like, everything just compounds. Yeah. The brain doesn't understand compounding. That's what's interesting. Like, and small writing in a journal every day, your gratitude journal, doing the sauna, take, you know, doing the ice bet. You're not going to see any changes for a long time, but you do that every day. Mm -hmm. You do those little things. Let's see what you look like in four years. Like people are so, so out of their mind when they predict how much they can get done within a short period of time, like a week, a month, a year, they totally overestimate it. They think it's overestimated every person in every scenario. I feel like that I hear, but people do the opposite. They drastically underestimate what they can accomplish in like five years. Like totally underestimate what you can do in five years. 
Five years ago, you said you would never have thought you'd be doing this. You didn't even know about it, and now you're doing we, it. We're pretty bad at understanding time. Right? Oh, like, we have a horrible relationship with time. Yeah. Horrible. Life is so long. People but don't you know, that. you know why? Because it, it's kind of unnatural to have a deadline. Like we're, we're kind of, I think we were not born to decide on timelines and like decide on like, okay, in five years, I'm going to be doing this and that. Like in one year, I'm going to do X and Y. Same well, with we kind of were, but, but we're, but you're born with a deadline. <laughs> By I mean, nature. But, but, but you never know it. And, right. and I think that's amazing. I don't want to know it. Yeah, like, uh, no one wants to know when you're going to die. Like, I think I a lot of people do want to know. Really? Would you? I, think I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't, and I don't fear, like, death or anything like that. But I think a yeah. lot of people have anxiety and stuff. People are not good with uncertainty in general. Right. Not everyone. And uncertainty brings anxiety, which brings panic, which brings fear, which all these other emotions. And... um that's just because they want to be able to know and plan for what's going to happen. But the only thing that's true about every plan is that to expect that damn plan to not go according to plan. That's the only thing that is going to be consistent with every plan is that it won't be a go according to plan. Like people love planning. People love planning. I love people who love planning. It fascinates me. It's not about planning. It's doing. And then we're all winging it. No one knows what they're doing. Yeah. If anyone tells you they know what they're doing, they don't. That's We're all winging it. That's a hard lesson to learn. It's so obvious, but at the same time, <laughs> so hard to learn because everyone says that. Everyone's like, no, like no one has figured it out. And like, if you talk to someone who you consider is successful, they're going to say like, oh no, I like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm, I'm learning on, on the go. Um, but I don't know why we all think that successful people each people and to start with successfully success being successful is doesn't really mean anything it's like super subjective because of success course, is different different for anyone else that's why but, and that's also why you should never compare yourself to another person because right. you guys may have totally different north stars right yeah exactly that's that's the thing like once once you learn what worked with others and uh, how they think they consider themselves successful it's just not going to be the same to you so it's this, it's just like completely useless, useless to, to even think about it. But anyway, we do it. Like measuring, measuring against other people is, is actually not helpful at all because you're not taken into context of the reasons why they're doing certain things. And like you might be doing it for admiration from others, which is a terrible reason to do something as opposed to figuring yourself out and being like, I'm doing this because I love to draw red birds. But then you go, oh my God, I love drawing red birds, but no one's going to buy red bird, my red bird paintings. They're not good. Yeah. But then you think about the billions of people that you've access to in an instant on the internet, and there still aren't even a billion plus people on the internet who will be on it in five years. Yeah. So let's not forget that. And I believe it's just a matter of consistency. And if you just... I don't think the best pe- I don't think the people besides really good looking girls that become influencers or you know well known makers whatever it might be I don't think they're the best necessarily some are but very rarely are they the best people no they're the people who just never stopped yeah consistency like when, beats anything 
in general. But like, it's people after two years of creating a YouTube video, like every day having three followers still going. And then in year four, they become an overnight success four years in the making. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it just takes, like, I always think of how many people stop right before the next one would have been the one, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that yeah. happens, but um, it's just yeah. quality is subjective. People don't get that. Mm-hmm. It's so it's it's subjective. You might like the 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 floor. I might not like the floor. You might like the carpet. I might not like the carpet. It's subjective, right? Yeah. Quantity is not subjective. It's measurable, and mm-hmm. it's very binary. You either do, you don't. You hit the number, you don't. People forget within a set. Like people want to, especially artists. They go, "I'm not doing this because it's not good enough." And my response is always like. Who the fuck are you? I was like, who are you? What are you? The eye of the beholder? Everybody? Like, you're the one that knows what art is? And mm-hmm. and, and you're the one that measures it? Like, you're, whoa. I had no idea you had the audacity to say you're the one that recognizes art. And on top of that all, you're not even buying from yourself. So you're not even your own fucking customer. So who gives a shit what you think? Put it out there and just but whenever, see what they, Whenever you build something... Don't you feel the same? Like you have this gut feeling that people will like it or not, and it's like yeah. it's, when when you build a business, it's it's the same. Like if 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 you're not building something that you would be using or kind of proud of, or at least know a couple of people that will be proud of it, then why even build it? Doesn't it the same apply with someone creating a piece of art? No, I would say no, and I'll tell you why. Because I believe that, for example, take Michael Jackson, one of the best artists ever, right? Like, yeah. no one would dispute that. Just a once in a you know generation type talent, right? How many songs do we did we never hear like the public we that would have been number one hits because he didn't like it, but the market would have loved it. He like like you aren't the you aren't the judge the jury and you you're not the whole thing like I think that you just have to put it out there and take the L's take the thumbs downs you know take the other and honestly you can get mostly thumb downs you only need a few thumbs ups and you're a success. That's okay. That's interesting point of view. I, I'm not entirely sure I agree. And I would say what would have happened if he released those songs that maybe are not good enough for him, but good enough for part of the market. But then we would probably say, okay, that was decent, not the best. No, and we just wouldn't we talk think, about it. And, and, then, and then we think Michael Jackson's just an average singer. And then, and then that's it. So I think no, him it, curating like... his own content, it's what actually made him extra successful. I... I got to push back on that because I, so when you're talking about someone like Michael Jackson, you're talking about someone who has like 50 smash hits, right? Like we're not talking about like vanilla ice. Okay? Yeah. So like someone who has consistency and like, let's talk about Drake or something like that. Right. Yeah. Drake just puts out a ridiculous amount of music compared to everybody else over the past. Like it's yeah. nobody's even close to what that man, but Russ is kind of close. He just puts out stuff. I guarantee 
you don't like 80% of Drake's songs, if let's say you like Drake and you like that, that you don't even know them or like them because they weren't, they didn't make it. They weren't good enough. They just kind of fell to the wayside, but no one remembers that. But everyone remembers, you know, God's plan. Everyone remembers, uh, you know, all the other songs that, you know, he made that are the hits. People, people don't even remember who lost the soup in the U S who lost the Super Bowl the year before. Everyone knows the winner, but you ask someone like who lost the World Series last year, yeah. people are, they think they're like, "That's a good question. That's a good question." Our short-term memory is astounding, and yeah. I think not putting yourself out there is ego. And I think that sure you might be right, and the market wouldn't like it, but I don't believe you're a hundred percent right every time you don't put something out. And if you're not 100% right, and one of those were Thriller, then you lost. Because one Thriller and 100 missed hits is a wild success. It's like the stock market. Like, you you only need to pick, like Warren Buffett, you only need to pick a few. And then yeah. you just need to live a long time. And then yeah. compounding just works. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess you're looking at it as, as a consumer. Um I'm not sure how to think about it as the artist or as the creator, because it, for me, it feels like whenever I feel I build something as, let's say, a no-code creator, if if I'm not convinced with something, I'm just going to drop it because I'm not going to be mo motivated to do it. But if I build something that I feel it's really good, it's going to give me a lot of passion and purpose and stamina to keep growing. So that, that's the way I'm doing it. So curating, it's about, I think for me at least, finding where's my passion and where's my purpose. So I'm just going to work on whatever makes me happy, um, whatever makes me happy instead of working on something that I might think that might be good for something. So that's the right strategy. For sure. I, I guess so. I, well, I guess it's also, we'll see. Well, when you're putting your energy into something that you enjoy, A, you tend to be happier, which then B, leads to better actions that you conduct on a daily basis and healthier relationships. And then you put that energy into the world and better shit happens to you because you're happier and you give more. And in this world, as counterintuitive as it is, and as crazy as it sounds, the more you give, the more you get. 100%. That's a fact. It's not the more you take. You would think the more you take, the more you get, right? Like if you just yeah. take it to take, you would take, you take as much as you want. The more you give, the more you get. But never ever give and expect something in return. That's not giving. That's totally yeah. different. But if you're doing what you love, now, the, the thing is, you got to mix that with having a healthy relationship with time and understanding that listen your stuff might be good enough but it might take 13 months for it to break all right do you have the resiliency to stick with the passion or are you going to lose faith and be like you know what i'm right i should have never have done this and i think a lot of people do that yeah 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 definitely happens um yeah i mean it's a tough debate i guess it like every mind it's every creator is just like so different and we get motivated to build by so many reasons. Um, 
hard to judge what's actually working for others. So let's just like, I feel like let's just like focus on whatever works for you. Right. And like, do just you, like building for whatever reasons. Do you turn down jobs? Do people ask you to use something that you know you could do, but you don't take it because. Yeah. And let's say, the, and let's say the money is the right price. So it's not financial. In fact, the money's good, but you don't like the project. Even yeah, I do. You turn I, I, turned them, I turned them down because I, I just like, I'm not motivated to do so. Um, I'm like, luckily I've, I'm in a position where I get to work on what, You're unemployable. <laughs> yeah, like what I, I get to work on what I really like. Uh, and I, I, I feel like I get to decide on what to work. So, yeah. So how, so, okay. So for everyone listening to provide some value, how do you be, how do you get to that place? That sounds, that sounds amazing. amazing. Every, Every, like, wow, wow, you get to choose what you want to work on, really work on things you like. How did you get there? Um, curiosity. Just like endlessly exploring my curiosity. And if I feel like I want to learn something new, I just go for it and follow my curiosity. And, and that's what I've been doing since day one. If I want to create a business around climbing T-shirts, I'll just try it out. <laughs> if I want to try something around crowdfunding, I'll go for it. If I want to, um, I don't know. Risk tolerance company, is high. <laughs> I lose, yeah. Like I'll just like do it. So yeah, just like for me, I've always been following my curiosity and trying to learn something new. And uh, let's see where it gets me. Don't really have a plan besides keep following my curiosity. I don't think you should. How old are you? I'm 29. I think that's like, I think the worst thing is when people ask like an 18 year old, what do you want to be the rest of your life? I think that is like a, a actually bad question. Like, I don't think anyone should be having to plan at 30. Like, to be yeah. Honest. Like, you, yeah. And, and things evolve and technology changes and jobs that like exist in 10 years, you don't know of right now because they don't even have the technology to have it exist. Like, I just don't know where the world's going. We're moving so damn fast and people don't get that. And um, no. so, so throw away the, throw plan. Away the plan, do what you do. I think I your advice is spot on, on and it's rare that it's really rare what you have, which is, which is you take you action. action. You leave yeah. like, like, like the, the one of the quotes that I love on says since I read this, which is um, mood follows action. And I think that's so fucking profound. And why do I like that? Because even myself, not anymore, Not anymore though, though. But, but definitely, definitely for a majority of my life, life. And, and I see I it see now that everyone is, you want to wait to feel, you know, really, really good, good before you do this thing, thing. or you're going to wait till you get to feeling better. And then, then you're going to work on your project. No, 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 no. Work on your project and then you'll feel better. You got it backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought that that was really profound. Yeah. But you, you've taken so many, you, you've taken so many action <laughs> so many chances and started so many things and you said most have failed how i guess how would you describe like the lows of maybe the end of some of those like the like as low as things got like like what's like you know the worst outcome because you're still alive you're here you're happy you're on the still you made it through so and you came out in a better place so i think it's important for people to know that with, with adversity, adversity and with pain, 
it has to balance the pain and pleasure literally biologically have to balance out so people who actually experience more deeper pain have the opportunity to actually reach higher points of pleasure than people who don't like suffer trauma and stuff like that but only if you can get through it persevere so can you give some some context on that as much as you're willing to share I, I feel for me, this works for me because I have a very risky personality. I'm like, <laughs> I, I love risk. I love to take risk, like both personally and professionally. I'm a, I'm a rock climber, like slack line, mountain bike, ski, like anything that gives me an adrenaline rush, I'll be there. So I, I feel like the same applies to building stuff and, and work and anything else. So, But why aren't you scared? Because the possible upside of having a good time is way higher than the possible downside and pain and bad moments. So I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for the upside and the happy moments and the lows will come, the pain will happen, but I'm not, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking, what, what if this works? What if this is fun? What if... I enjoy this. So I always like focus on this. And for me, the more risk, the higher the possible outcome. So it's just like, okay, if this is risky, it's because it means something. It's because it's hard. And if it's hard, it's because it's fun. So if it's fun, it's because I'm going to enjoy it. So given my personality, it, it works for me. And the lows are not super low because it means like, okay, I'm just going to try it again. Let's try something more risky now. Um, but a lot of people are not so But risky. do you recognize like, in most people, people they're not like that? like that? Do you, do see, you that? see that? Yeah, definitely. They're the opposite. Yeah. They fear. Yeah, a lot of people have fear rather what, than... What would you tell them? To, like to get to your place because you don't have that. And I, I think you're benefiting from it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell something because I, I, I'm usually not in that place. So I, I don't even know how that feels like to like have so much fear to build something or to start something new. Um, but it's, it's like muscle. You go to the gym or you exercise and then you just like get stronger with, with time and with consistency. So, so like the other stuff, it's the same. It's like going to the gym, but for your brain. So you just got got to start somewhere, just like running half a mile or whatever. Just like or take walking. one step. Yeah, just like take one step. Like that's it. You just like walk for five minutes and then you run a marathon or whatever in ten years. So it's it's the same. It's like going to the gym. Like if if you take care of your body, you also have to take care of your mind, and that means you also have to think about building and creating and. Not not only execute, but go from idea to execution, and then your brain will start telling yourself that you are a maker, that you are a creator, that you can do it instead of watching people do it. Dude, that's awesome! I'm gonna clip that. We are gonna. That, that was good. That was real good. I'm I think. You. I mean, yeah. Hopefully, oh, I don't know how good. obvious it is for some people or how not obvious it is, but uh, definitely not for everyone as well well i believe it's not obvious not because of the individual many times i think it's the lack of education people don't know what's possible 
what you can do now with no formal training. Like just people do not know. Like yeah. they don't know what like a staff buy can do, what Airtable can do, what a what you webflow can do. Like they just and and hey, it's no fault of their own. They're just not interested and obsessed with tools like I am per se. Right? It's not like wrong, but it's totally democratized in a huge, huge way. And you don't have to build platforms or anything like that. But it enables you to uh, have kind of seek the outlet. Like, let's say you know you want to be a journalist. You know, now you can do that for zero dollars and make money on it with Substack or something like that, or you know, review. And many people have, and uh, or start a podcast, which is really hard, by the way. Um, yeah, and uh, it doesn't have to be media either. It could be anything around. What, like, if you love baseball. Well, you don't need to be a baseball player. That you is be so a coach. Maybe you're not a coach. Maybe you work in the front office. Maybe you're on the business operations side. Or maybe you're in, you know, like think about a way that you can monetize what you're passionate about in some facet around it. Like it doesn't have to be direct, you know? Yeah. Just because you like to paint doesn't mean you sell, or like sell paintings. Like you can teach courses of painting. Like there's, you know what I mean? And I don't think people think kind of that far. But, but that's so true. I just wish uh, I wish everyone had your mindset in the sense of like, do you know what fear feels like? Oh yeah, of course. It like all the time. You just learn to control it. I guess. I mean, this is something I learned rock climbing. Um, because I've been rock climbing for quite a, some years, and something you learn after climbing a lot is that. Fear is never going to disappear. You're just going to learn how to deal with it. And like when, when someone is climbing, even professional climbers, I would say, and you ask them like, oh, so you're fearless? They say like, no, I like, I feel <laughs> yeah. fear. I just learn how to control it. And how like to LeBron gets it. nervous before games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how to, to enjoy it. So it's not about not feeling fear. It's just about how to deal with it and how to control it and then how to enjoy it at a certain point. So for some reason, I learned that while rock climbing. And Do you remember just, how? Uh, or did, was it like an accumulation of things? Accumulate, like many years. Yeah, accumulation. It's not obvious at all. You just like one day understand. It just like kind of like happens. And, and one day when someone asks you, and you have to think about it. It's like, oh, I actually feel it, but I just go with it and keep going. It's almost like you don't recognize. You recognize it, but like you don't pay attention to. It. Yeah, that's that's too much attention to it. Yeah, you know what? Because, because you put so many reps. You know. Yeah, I guess at least in rock climbing, and I guess in like any other outdoor sports that Extreme has adrenaline, sport. if you. If you have way too much fear, you're going to stop. And you don't want to stop because you're you like You might not it. start. True. Exactly. So you have to keep going because if not, you're going to stop or not start. So, yeah. And I, I think, like, what's the worst that can happen? I think that people think, I've learned that, or come to realize people's inner voices are really are mean, mean and not, not nice, nice to, to most, people. most people. Like it tells most them they can't do it. It's interesting. 
or right. or they're not good not enough. Good enough. I, I, I see it all the time. Like everyone doubt. Like oh, my art wins. Why will, what? What do you mean? Why won't your she someone like? No, you're, and it's like amazing or something. Like I, I see it all the time. Like where these people are so talented and they think that they're they 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 just they there's no chance that they can ever be successful in any. And I'm like, and they're literally amazing. And yeah, this this is a common theme that I've seen in all my adult life, and I realized that it's an inner voice. It's that roommate inside or whatever that is. They're they're that's. That inner voice is creating the fear, I think. And it's saying you're not good enough or no, like you think you're going to, or I'm going to go put this, uh, you know, and try this on, you know, post on Instagram. And then your inner voice goes, <laughs> you are, you, you, you are, hey. yeah, you're right. No one's going to buy that. But the thing is, is that I think I've come to learn something else, which is really interesting. Now, this might not be true, but it seems to be true. Hey, can I can I interrupt you yeah. for a sec before yeah. I hear your thought? I was just reading here the chat and Pedro Vicente, who's listening to us, he, he wants to come in and ask something. Um he's apparently he enjoying on? the conversation. Is that is yeah. that doable? Yeah, try it. Is he in? He is, yeah. Uh, let's see what I can do. We're gonna bring in a guest speaker. Oh, here we go. So I can make next caller. Should I do it? Yeah. But wait, how are we gonna how are we gonna hear it on here? Um, That's a good question. <laughs> I can repeat it or something. Here, should we take a question? But wait, wait, I want to finish what I, my last thought. Yeah, which go is for it. so we have clean break, which is that fear that builds up inside of the people go through more pain through the anticipation of an event. Versus the actual event, like thinking of how bad it's going to be or, you know, oh, everything's going to go wrong and having anxiety leading up to it. And then actually the event, even if it goes bad, what leads up to it is way worse and stressful in the body and mind and all that stuff. And nine, ten, and what I think is true, 10 times out of 10, not nine, 10 out of 10. If you go opposite of the fear, if you say, oh, you know, I fear, you know, going rock climbing, I'm never going to do it. And you do it. I think 100% of the time, if you counter, if you go the exact opposite of what your inner voice says, you'll make the right decision. <laughs> Love really, it. Yep. I think it's true. All right. We're going to try and get the yeah. That's so right. I think it's true. I, 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 this is a recent thought that I've been yeah, kind of that's observing so true. and thinking. All right, let's see, Pedro. We're going to try and bring you on. I'm going to put you next to the mic. Now I wonder why we didn't do that very often. What? Do the, do what's opposite to the obvious or do what's opposite to what it's we hard, think. It's hard, right. dude. It's hard. Everything inside of you is telling you no, and if you do it, you're wrong or, like, you're an idiot. Like, it, it's a hard – or maybe on top of that, you have people close to you that you're hanging out with that – are also saying the same shit because they're not in a good place and they're saying, no, you can't do that. But they're really just saying that because they don't believe they can do their thing so that no one can do their thing. Mm. So then they doubt you and that compounds you doubting yourself. And so if you're surrounded by that and your inner voice is saying that, how do you counter it? Everyone's telling you you can't. You're telling yourself you can't. What in the world would make you think you can? Yeah, yeah. 
That's why you got to surround yourself by just good people if you don't have a good inner voice. Mine's like delusionally optimistic. I don't know how it happened. So it's really great, but I feel so much empathy for the negative voices. And I think it's way more negative for most people. All right, Pedro, let's give you a shot. Yeah. Let's see. It's not a good screen. Pedro, you on? Yes, I'm on. Can you hear me? All right, let's see. Can, can you put it on your mic? Mine's like... I'm on. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm going to mute mine, though. Hey. What's up, Pedro? Uh, yeah, I, I've been here listening for, for an hour. This is really interesting to hear for me because I'm a software engineer. Uh, Hector, by the way, thanks for noticing that I was here. Jonathan, I, I don't know, but uh, when people call, the, there is a special call-in thing. But anyway... Uh, okay. I'm not smart, Pedro. I apologize. That's why I packed you on the call. <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just wanted to say it was really interesting, and uh, I realize now that uh, I have no idea of the technologies that you you guys were talking about because I I work with C plus plus and SQL, kind of an old school thing, and uh, I, I realize now that uh, I don't know anything. But uh, I'm interested. So, what exactly is no code? That's what, what a great question, Pedro. Um, by the way, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from Washington, D.C. Nice. I'm, I'm Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I'm a citizen of Portugal. But I've, been, I've been living here in the United States for, for a long time. So. Nice. Um, you want to take this one? Go, you take it. I think that's it's perfect for you. Me? Okay. Ah. I'm by, echoing. By, but... by, by the way, Jonathan, uh, when I, before I was on the call, I, I did took a look at your uh, pay, web page. Really interesting. I'm also uh, an internet programmer. I, I do internet applications, and uh, I'm also interested in Web three. So Web one and Web two are easy to to know where it is. Static and uh, Web two kind of podcasts and stuff like that. I really would like to know what is Web3, if you have time to explain. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Am I echoing on your side before I start, Hector? Sorry? Am I just echoing in my own ear? No, I can hear you fine, yeah. Um, okay. So, for anyone who didn't hear, because it was a little soft, uh, Pedro is... Um, a software engineer does C++ web development um, and claims now to have realized he knows very little about the world of no code and what's possible. And Hey, first of all, I think that's like I was saying is totally, totally common and it's not a, uh, a like a blame or a, Oh, I should have known. Like, no, it's just, you know, the only people that know are, psychopaths like myself that are just obsessed with tools and that's how I came across it. But I've been doing this for 12 years um, or however long. Um, however, then he asked about how web three plays into this and web three, uh, you could think of as crypto or blockchain decentralization, DeFi, DAOs, um, decentralized autonomous organizations, things like that. And I believe that the intersection of no code and 
what is referred to as the creator economy and no code enables that, right? No, the intersection of no code and web three is what I refer to as the ownership economy. And that's a step up from the creator economy. And so, so the creator economy has enabled individuals or groups of people to make a living off of their, I'm going to put in quotes, art. I don't mean literally art uh, in the sense of, you know, drawing, painting, podcasting, like just whatever their art is, you know, whatever passion. And that's never been possible um, for many reasons. One, you would need to pay someone like you who knows C++ plus and all this stuff to even build the outlet. The internet didn't even exist for, you know, before the last 25 years. So that kind of just, you could forget everything prior to that. So we can stay from 95 to today. Um, Web two was mobile and basically everybody had or has a device in their pocket that is more powerful than what Ronald Reagan had to run the free world like 40 years ago or 50 years ago. And now that's getting into the hands of people all across the world who live in way different societies than most of us even know exist. And what I mean by that is, you know, people don't know what it's like to live in North Korea. There's not very much that gets out of there, right, from a media standpoint. People don't know that there's a lot of people, there are billions or hundreds of millions of people in this world that are stuck in situations like a lot in Africa because of, you know, regimes that are corrupt, that like have been, that own this, not only the financial system, but there's no way to get out of, you know, kind of the, 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 the hands of these oligarchs and powerful people and, and, and governments, because this, like, for example, in Argentina, like everyone had their, you know, money in their banks. And then the next day the government just took half of it out and you had, there's nothing you could do about it. Well, and then in America, we're seeing inflation that's bonkers and over 50% of the money that's in circulation was printed in the last two years. I mean, that's probably not good. And um, there's actually a great video, by the way, um, on YouTube uh, called, <clears throat> it's based on his book. It's the first chapter uh, with Ray Dalio, which is, um, uh, it's the rise and fall of, it's like a cartoon of the first chapter, but the rise and fall of empires and the new world order, basically, and how this is so cyclical. And what we're going through now, like the world seems, at least to me, the world seems very chaotic right now, more so than I ever experienced. I think things are real weird, just weird today than they've ever been. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is a lot of people are limited in terms of being even of being anything, let alone a creator in some of these societies because they aren't able to be the custodian of their own wealth. They're always at the mercy of whatever they make, whether that be money, whether that be social um, equity, uh, you know, reputation, things like that. It could just be taken away. And that is a... Those are, that's a result of corruption or dictatorships or, you know, some sort there, 
the, the, the idea of a sovereign individual, not a sovereign nation, but a sovereign individual is non-existent in a lot of places in this world. In fact, I just learned this in the past couple of weeks from the Bitcoin conference. They had four people on stage and uh, one was from this place in Africa and they were describing one was um, um, Palestine, I believe, and talking about how like, you know, in order to send money to his mom who lives there, like in and like a Venezuela too, like it has to go through the Israeli government, which has to approve that. And then it goes to like the palace and there's all these things that we don't know occur. And like, they might never even see it or something like that. And that's just money, right? Now, all, I can't control that. I'm just trying to help in some small way. And that's through, you know, what role can you play to help? And so the role I'm trying to play is just education and do what you want. Because the goal that I have and that I wholeheartedly believe is going to occur, not only in my lifetime, but soon, which is people having equal access to opportunity. That is how the world should function, in my opinion. I Now, equal outcome? No, no, no. That I don't agree with for a variety of reasons. That means it's fixed in some certain way. Everyone should have, whether you're born in Manhattan to the richest family or you're in the middle of Africa, you should both be able to open up your phones and, you know, let the best man or woman win and take the courses and the tests or whatever it might be. And whoever's better wins. It doesn't matter where you are, right? Equal access to opportunity. That doesn't exist right now. That doesn't exist to an extreme extent. Crypto unlocks that in a big way. And this isn't just financial, but I'll start with financial, which is, think about it. If you have money, right? The only way you hold on to it, it needs that five properties pretty much, right? You need a way. So gold has long been a currency, right? Or a value, right? Why is gold a value? You can't, you know, easily make it. It's, uh, um, it doesn't uh, what, disintegrate. I mean, a little bit, you know, things like that. And there's a finite amount. And, uh, you know, unless you discover it um, or have it, you know, you're not going to get any more of it. The point being is that what happened later on in the 1800s or early 1900s is that gold is not transportable, easily transportable. And you need to be able to take money through time. Okay. That's a property of what makes money. It needs to transport through time and space. And if you have millions of dollars in gold and you, you live in Miami and you want to go move to, I don't know, Ecuador, I don't, what are you going to do? Right. And so same thing with, so what do you do? You either have cash, which you can have under your mattress, but you can get robbed. You put in a bank account usually. Or you, you know, have a, you know, you put it in something that's managed by a third party, another person and or another entity, not yourself. So you are trusting that this other thing, entity is going to do what's in the best interest. And when you go to get that back, when you need it, that it's going to be not only be there, but there's going to be more of it. And before there were banks, they were called warehouses and people would give them their gold and they would get these slips back because it was easier to trade slips. Like dollar bills are easier to trade than gold. That's why we got fiat money. 
And um, what happened was, is the gold would then go in the warehouse. They would get a ticket that they own $100,000 in gold from that warehouse. They would trade these tickets in public, blah, blah, blah. And then when people went to go redeem the gold, well, there was only 25% of the gold that was left. The other 75% was like used or, you know, the custodian like took advantage of it. That's what's happening at scale with governments, I think, to be honest. I, you know, I hate to be a, a downer like that. And crypto for the first time, think of, this is a major breakthrough. Think about this. You have the ability to transact with anybody you trust anywhere in the world within seconds or minutes, right? With no intermediary, with nothing except you and that person trusting each other, okay? And the only way that you lose your wealth is if someone knows the key that's in your head. Like, sure, someone... Like if someone came and robbed you, dropped your wallet with a gun to your head, you're going to give them it. Now, sure, they could torture you for all that stuff. But like if they kill you, like that's not going to work anymore because the number's in your head. Like that's a little big of a deal. Like you can't really do anything. What are you going to do? You can open their brain? Not going to work. So what does this do? You combine the democratization of software with ownership of your own value that you're creating from being a creator, from creating courses on drawing red birds, for example. And you are the custodian of that wealth as well. You're not dependent on anyone but yourself. You are the full stack as the human from end to end with nobody else needed except you. And you only transact with people you trust with. You don't need to worry about things going through another system, crossing different regulatory borders or something like that. And that that decentralization of the monetary system into the individual takes the creator economy to actually own the platforms that they're working on. Like, for example, what's going to happen in the future is there's going to be a Facebook, let's say, of a crypto Facebook and by contributing to it, like if you go to braintrust.com, it's a good good example. By It's an upwork on the blockchain. And by contributing, whether it's web design, you know, whether it's administrative, whether it's vetting, you know, uh, whether it's doing work on it, you know, as a freelancer, you own these what we call social tokens, which can be traded for you know, things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, other coins of value, which could be traded for fiat if you want, right? But all these platforms, if you own the tokens, you own the protocols. Essentially, it's like saying, imagine, think about how much Gmail's worth. Like if Gmail could sell today, it's probably like a $100 billion business. Like it's gotta be, it's huge, right? Imagine if you owned part of the SMTP protocol, which is what every mail service uses to send and receive email. That's what's going on right now. You're going to own tokens in the protocol on these, on this new infrastructure. The internet was built without a payment rail 
without a payment system. It wasn't thought of. It wasn't built into it. And that was the mistake the internet made. And it's become hyper-centralized and big tech and all that stuff. But there's no payment rail system that was built into the internet to monetize on a incremental, you know, tips, like small uh, transactatory, like uh, trends, whatever you call it, um, type of transactions where it's like review this and get two set, you know, microtransactions is what I'm looking for. And um, the internet itself, as you know, it is being rebuilt to be owned by the users of the internet. And those are creators because everyone's essentially a creator. And when the creator owns the platforms they use, like Coda, for example, because they have tokens and they don't bear risk of being taken off the platform unless everybody votes them out or whatever it might be. If as long as it, you know, whatever the, the DAO's uh, governance structure is, you can't just take someone out because you don't like them. You can't ruin, you know, you have ownership over not only your IP, but what you're using to build that IP. And that is a very complex and very profound uh, new model of how we're going to function in society that it's really kind of hard to comprehend. It's really tough to explain. I don't feel like I'm doing a great job, but um, it's it's fundamentally going to change everything. Like every business as it operates, everything. Because why would you work on something that functions exactly the same where one you can own equity in it and the other one you can't? I'll take the one where I own equity. Why not? I mean, that was a really, really excellent explanation about... Does that answer your question? Yes, it answers the question. I think it was really a good explanation about... about I don't that. hear it. Can, can you hear me? Yeah, a little bit. I think it was really a good explanation what, about what money is. Um, I think you have to take it in your phone. Uh, do you guys have problem listening to me right now? Yeah, we, we aren't. You know, for all the, all the shit we talk about being awesome and no code and all these, like, platforms, we suck at conducting an interview. <laughs> yeah. uh, I suck. There, Go ahead, I can hear you. Yeah, okay. There, it was a really excellent explanation. I, I like Ray Dalio too. Um, check, have you heard about uh, a new uh, app called Pancake? Called what? What's the new app Pan- called? Pancake. I wrote it here in the chat. If you go to the chat, I wrote it. Is it P-E-N-Q-U-I-N? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I know it. Yes. Uh, it, it's kind of exactly what, what you just described. is is a, a bit like, like Twitter, but is decentralized. Right, right. So, it, it it's a really it's a really big deal. Well, like you know, Bitcoin was what founded this, but it's really that mixed with no code in the creator economy. Like that is a very. It's not just the crypto that many you know Bitcoin maximalists stuff are focused on, like. The creator economy is really kind of the core game changer in my... Actually, it's both of them. I just think that that combination, you know, like ownership's a big deal. Like just in itself, you know, 
like being able to outright own your house and not have it taken away. People value that. And I see why, you know what I mean? And we've seen crazy things happen. Um, I, I want people to be empowered to do what they're not only passionate about, but whatever they're passionate about and also good at, you can't just be passionate. You got to be good at it too. So, you know, you don't have to be that good, but you got to be good. And, um, I want to have people infuse more joy and creativity and happiness into this world. And I really believe that's going to be the result of this. You know, there's, you know, it's the regret minimization framework. Like we're going to have much less people at 80 years old saying, I should have started that. Oh my God. If I only would have tried to, I no. there's no time machines that I know of yet. Um, but any way we can get people to muster up the courage to just try, like, I don't, it's never too late. If you're 80 years old, maybe it's too late. But if you're 60, you, you got two decades of good health, three decades. And it's only getting longer. So it's like people who are like 50 are like, ah, you know, I've already done this for too long. I hate it. I got to stick with it. It's like, no, you could become a maker and a creator. Like you are a maker and creator. You could just choose to actually become one that's professional or not. That's a decision you can make. And it requires dedication, time, commitment, and it's hard. And that's why it's so special. Because, oh shit, it disconnected. But that's why it's so special. Um, it looks like I disconnected from one of the things. No, I can hear you. Well, yeah, and that one. Um, we're on like a hundred different channels. It's really. A, I got to get this tech stack straightened out. I'm not happy with it. Very, <laughs> really not happy with it. Uh, I am using headphones. Riverside needs to l use less bandwidth. Yeah. Shout out. Um, yeah, no, no, I think that's a good question. I think Web3 is something that everyone can benefit educating themselves on. Um, in fact, I've never known anyone who uh, went down that rabbit hole and then came out the other side and said, you know what, I'm going to go back to the other side and I'm going to stick with the field. I've never, that hit me the other day where I've seen people switch the other way around, but not the, that way, not going to learn everything about it and then say, eh, I don't think so. And the best example of that is the co-founder of uh, Basecamp, um, DHH, David Heimer, Hyman or whatever. Um, they have an email service called Hey.com and also Basecamp.com. But at hey.com, they have something called world.hey.com, I think, which is like you can blog from your email. I actually use it. And he wrote, a, he wrote a post not too long ago and was on the Bankless podcast. And they, if you don't know about the founders of Basecamp, they're totally bootstrapped. Basecamp charges 99 bucks a month. Uh, they have millions of, pe millions of people using it, paying $99 a month. They're, they're a company making hundreds of millions of dollars, like tens of millions on a monthly basis or billions a year. And nobody even knows them and they never raise a dime. Uh, it's very, they have very radical views. Um, but David was always against crypto 
he's the CTO and he wrote an article that you can search for that um, um, is called something like I was wrong about crypto and here's why. And it took the event in Canada where our friend Hector is right now with the truck drivers and them taking access away of the money and freezing the accounts to realize why crypto was important. Um, and that's kind of what I was alluding to, which is that individual sovereignty. Um, you earned it, you know, like, you know, there was an instance where people were, people who donated to a cause were threatened to get into trouble because they made a donation. So they were tied to it. And these are just innocent, like, you know, people who made a donation and they're terrified. And people we already just discussed naturally live in fear. And that compounded with probably COVID and everything else took fear to a whole different level and has probably caused a huge spike in like depression, anxiety, all this stuff. That's why we're seeing all these mental kind of illnesses. And I know those very well as I struggle from depression Um, and it sucks, but you're, if you believe this to be true, then Hector's right in saying that you can do that anything, anyone who's willing to can do it. And I believe this is true. And I would love to hear why it wouldn't be true, which is you, you, as Ben Horowitz says, like in his book, his title of his book is you are what you do. Right. And I believe that you are your actions. Like what, that's who you are. Right. The way, you know, you are what you do. It's not what you think. It's not what's inside of your head. It's what you do. And how do your actions come about? Well, they stem from your thoughts or something subconsciously that's, you know, you may not recognize that's initiating you to do a particular action. That's where it comes from. Right. And I believe in life. There's only two things you can control and everyone spends 99% of the time thinking about a third variable, which they can't control. But if you only focus on the two things that I think you can't control, which is, I think you can control your actions and I think you could control your thoughts. Now that's really hard but, and things pop in your head, but you can decide to change your thought. And if you believe you can change your thoughts, then that means you can change your actions and your actions are your habits. And if you fundamentally change whatever, like if you're not happy where you're at today, you're clearly doing something repetitively or many things repetitively that are putting you into the spot you're in today. And you say you don't want it, but you do because you're acting in a way that's leading to that result. So, you're lying if you're saying that you don't want it because a part of you does want it. Otherwise you would change. Like it's so basic. Um, and so if you believe you can control your thoughts, which, you know, I do and it's really difficult and meditation, things like that. And probably, you know, spirituality, hokey pokey stuff that would be considered hokey pokey is probably, something 10 years ago I would have said pay no attention to and now I would say like fundamentally is a requirement to achieve whatever you want um I I mean it's physics energy cannot be created nor destroyed right that is a that's a that's the law of physics so that means that everything is energy and what you put out into the ether is what you attract back 
and vice versa. And um, once you realize everything's energy and you can control, you know, you could tell if you're talking to someone and you're on sync with them and things are going super well and you guys are like hitting it off, you know, think you're vibing. Um, and you can also tell if like uh, you don't have good rapport, like it's awkward or something. That's because you guys are on different wavelengths, like just different energy, you know, like it's not a bad thing. It's just you feel it. You feel like something's off. Well, how do you feel like something's off? There's clearly some energy of some sort. I, I don't know what the hell it is. And I'm not a religious person and so far from spiritual. And this is so off topic. But like, I just really think that that people don't understand that they really do control much. The people who are fortunate enough to be in societies where they get the free freedom, free will of being able to do that. Or like if you're born in North Korea, it's much harder, if not possible. Um, and that's not fair. But uh, if you're in the U.S. and you're complaining and you went to Duke, like, shut up. Go change your life. Like, I don't want to hear it. Like, you're choosing not to. Like, I, I just, everything that will come out of your mouth is an excuse. I actually, I have no talent. I, I literally just do not care. I, it, it's meaningless. It's it's just a, anything against changing the actual behavior and doing what you love is literally sounds in my ear. Like, like that's what it, it sounds like a language that we'll hear when we go to Mars or something. I don't know. Like, it's a bunch of horseshit. Like, go out there. Fucking try shit. Learn. Question your beliefs. Be flexible with your beliefs. Talking about the first thing we talked about, which is just because something happened for a long period of time doesn't make it right. Well, there's people that will defend something they've believed in for so long, even though they've learned it's false, but they don't want to be wrong. So they'll stick to it. That blows my mind. I actually can't comprehend that. It's hard for me to wrap my head around because who cares if you're right or wrong? You just want to get to the right conclusion. So be flexible. Be nim- like Things change all the time. Life is changes. Don't stick to something just because you stuck to it for so long. Like Evolve. And if you're not willing to evolve, then don't be surprised that your life doesn't evolve. Like, that's it. And, if you're, and then if, if you're okay with if you're upset with that, either do something about it or don't. And if you don't, just don't nonstop talk about it because no one wants to hear your bullshit because everyone else is dealing with their shit. No one gives a shit about what you're dealing with because they, everyone's very selfish. No one's thinking about what you're wearing. They're thinking about how bad their own shirt looks. Like everyone's in their own head thinking about themselves. That's really true. Like it is. And there's something kind of meaningful for that, which is uh, it's important to be selfish before you're selfless because if you're Everyone wants to change the world. Everyone wants to help people. Everyone wants to, I'm going to go do this and help, help, help. But inside they're broken and, you know, not happy and all this stuff. And that's going to make them feel better. No, 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 no. You should be selfish as can be and pursue what you want. Who cares what everyone else says? Most likely they're wrong, by the way. If you, every story you hear of these like crazy successes, like, I don't know, the richest man in the world, like Elon Musk, I think anything he ever did, everyone told him he was a moron. I think, I think unanimously he was a moron for everything he did. 
you're going to start a car company in Silicon Valley. You're going to start a space. Yeah, they, yeah, they were, they, you're right though. If you lit, if you listen to those people, you wouldn't even know who he is. And it, it just goes to Hector's point, which is try, you're going to fail probably most of the time. But if you find those two or three things that you like slash are good at, and you go all in on those, you, money will follow that. You'll earn financial income. You'll make a, that, that's a byproduct. You got to find the self-awareness part first. Everything else will just follow. It will, it's, it'll naturally follow. Like if you love what you do and you're fucking good at it, this crazy thing is going to happen. People aren't going to pay you to do what you love to do because you're good at it. And you're probably a pleasure to work with because you're so damn happy. So I just don't like people. I don't like hearing complaints, but then seeing no changes. I just, I don't really have any empathy, empathy for that. I might be cold, but I have no empathy for that. That's my answer to what I don't even know what the question was. Jonathan, how do you have so much energy to think about all of that? It's, um, it's, it's crazy. What do you mean? I mean, you, you just like shared so many thoughts, so profound. and like. But did it make sense? Of course, yeah. They, I mean, at least it, it, it did for me. Right. Yeah. Um, where do you get all of these thoughts, and how do you reflect on all of this? Do you is it through reading, or are you just sitting in the? Sh are, you, are you saying you don't think what I was like thinking ever? I guess I do. I feel like people think it; they just don't articulate it. I think I think I kind of do some of it, but I maybe not probably I don't articulate it just as as you did. Um, my my question is, when you try to think about all of this and actually putting it into words, do you do it in a podcast? Do you do it? Do you write it down somewhere? Do you just like let your brain go and just speak whatever you think, or that's that. I don't, I don't think about how I'm going to share something or do it. Like literally whatever I just said just now was how it rolled off. Like that there, I, I, for better or worse, probably for worse. I don't believe in planning. <laughs> I really don't. I, no, I'm I love wrong, it. by the way, but I'm wrong on part of that. You should definitely, I could plan better. I could do some planning, but no, I, I just, uh, I think authenticity is important. Actually, I think authenticity is a requirement in order to make it in anything where now we have a microscope on everyone. And like I said, every human can smell bullshit, whether you have a high um, emotional intelligence or low. It's fascinating to me that people with the worst emotional intelligence who I know can't read anything of anyone and totally get every situation wrong. They're like, that person's lying. And they are <laughs> like, it's like, like, we just Love know. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, authenticity is non-negotiable, but that doesn't mean you can't plan. You could be authentic and plan. Like, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. Like, that would be stupid for me to say. Um, it's well, just kind of how I work. I do consume a lot of audiobooks. 
um, yeah. like a and a lot of podcasts. I'm a huge audio. Look, I yeah. probably I got to be one of the top consumption audio consumers of in like the world. I would imagine. Like I have my ear. Like I'm listening to a book or something for like probably eight hours a day or something like that. Like something stupid. Like it's wild. But if I'm not talking to people, interesting. But I talk to people a lot too. Dude, that's yeah, that's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, no, that was great, man. That that was great. You're on my podcast. I'm interviewing you. What are you doing? No, I mean, I was just listening to you. <laughs> I was just like trying to wrap my head around some of your thoughts, which was pretty interesting. So, Do you have any yeah, that was great. Any feedback? any feedback? Initial I mean, thoughts? And anything that stuck out? You, you definitely said a lot. You said way more than I could say about the topic. Um, honestly, I'm just like learning by now. I just like, I don't even have any thoughts or responses. I'm just trying to wrap my head around what you mentioned about everyone has an opportunity and what you mentioned about gold versus fiat, just like the whole story of how we came up with Web3 and why it's relevant. Um, no, I'm just intaking all you said for now, to be honest. Are you, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm always seeking like... Uh, negative feedback intentionally like i hate like compliments like i hate like when i get compliments partially because it's not it's not a healthy thing like i just am not good at accepting like gifts for example i'm just like i don't think i deserve it's a flaw probably and um but uh like oh you're great at this well if you tell me that i most likely know i'm really good at what i'm doing and like thanks but i know that it's more like you know you, this should be, you know, you, you could have done it, you know, this way or like what you said there is ridiculous and there doesn't make any sense. And so I'm always seeking out like, um, uh, you can call it, uh, what constructive criticism, I guess, but yeah. I'm looking for like things I can fix. You know yes. what I mean? Right. And it's so funny that you say energy, you use the word energy, like a lot of, like I use so much energy because I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I, like the way you're responding to the me doesn't sound like doesn't sound like that. Yeah, the, I don't know. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. Why why do you feel it's confusing? Like it, it, you're you have a very ener- energetic personality, um, and it's like late at night, and you're going deep into like hard topics. But I. I feel like I'm tired. I feel like I don't have enough energy that I should have. I feel everything opposite, really? but yet, but everybody tells me what you're saying. Interesting. So yeah. Clearly, I'm I mean, wrong. I mean, you're not wrong. You're just you. You know, it's like I, I guess what what I'm observing, and and you can decide how you feel about this. But what I'm observing is that you have a lot of energy and you're very energetic and you can go deep into your feelings and into your mindset and you can go deep into your mind and talk about a topic that you understand and or like try to understand and uh, you do it like it seems like you're very passionate about it and it's you're tired and it's late at night 
and like you still do it like it's eight in the morning your first cup of coffee and it feels like you've <laughs> talked about this before many times and you probably write it down somewhere before you talked about it but you didn't so that's what i mean yeah. by there's a lot of energy in in that conversation um which in in, in my mind it's something good it's uh, i'm not saying it that's something bad no i appreciate it, that it's that's just like really... i i couldn't do it like i'm just like there's no way i could do that um but do what you know, easily can apparently do what? What like tapping your feeling? What, what part? I don't understand. No, what you can't do tap. Like right now, at like at this hour after working on, on like a lot of stuff during the day, I just like don't have my brain is not thinking enough on deep subjects. I just like I get tired. Maybe you're a morning my person. Brain is like, and then I'm like just shut it down. Well, maybe you're a morning person. And maybe if this was a nine in the morning, you'd be going real deep and I wouldn't be. Right? Could be that. Maybe. Yeah. Could be. Are you a night person? Uh, historically, I have been. But I've started... I, the, the habits we were talking about, one of the key ones that I've been doing is um, first thing in the morning is getting outside for at least 10 minutes, uh, like walking, because the light is... Um, is what sets your circadian rhythm and essentially creates a, a clock, a 16 hour clock. So like yeah. you have these things in your eyes that are literally just to recognize light. And so even when it's cloudy outside or something, there's actually more light rays and stuff like that, but you become more tired early. And, and, and I use the sauna now on a pretty much daily basis and uh, infrared and red light therapy, which is like a juve machine. Uh, first thing in the morning and gratitude journal and uh, the daily stoic, which has been a very good purchase. Daily stoics legit big time. Stoicism's legit. Nice. That's opened up those doors. Are, those are good habits. Um, do you have a favorite one? I hate all of them. <laughs> I make my bed. And I, I, they're all things I never did and realized that, I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I had to, then that it had to be a result of stuff I was doing. So I started slowly changing things and lo and behold, things started changing and getting way better, even way better than I ever predicted. Like starting two years ago or maybe a little over two years ago, probably like, but it was after doing it for a year. Now I have yep. to do it, but I really don't enjoy it. I don't, I don't enjoy journaling. I don't enjoy this. Like, song. I don't enjoy waking up early, but I, I get up in the first 10 seconds now. Like I've just, I didn't want to stay up till four in the morning every night. Like you, it's not good. I used to think like, why does it matter? But I actually think it's, I, I'm very, I was very against in the work world of like, you got to be in a nine o'clock. Like, Nine o'clock. You gotta be in eight thirty. Like these arbitrary times. Like that's we work nine to six. Yeah. Like I I despise that. I I was like, isn't it just about the output? Like it's just about the fucking output. Like if I work from seven at night to five in the morning and the quality of my work's better and turned in on time than somebody who works from the regular standard hours, why the hell do you care when I do it or where I do it? I just never I passion was did not understand that. Um. But. Uh, as you become more, and especially you know this, but 
if you're a business owner, for sure, but an entrepreneur, like you've got to talk to humans a lot. And that's, I guess you don't have to, but if you're building something, most likely you do. And uh, most people are in the world that you're going to deal with are awake during, you know, similar ish hours, which are not four in the morning. <laughs> you Eastern. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And it seems like people who wake up really early. So in tools, Titans, like, like what's in fair, like I found this fascinating, but people who are successful in health, the people who are successful in wealth, people who are successful in what these like different sections, right? It's, success is not just money. That's where people get mm-hmm. real confused, right? It could be being the best nutritionist, but you make 50 or the best school teacher and you make 50,000 a year, but you're happy as shit. Like that's success. Success is achieving one's own goals, in my opinion, and being happy. Like that's it. It actually has nothing to do with money. Our, yeah, happiness. The, or at least our culture. The North Star. Yeah, I mean, our culture in the U.S. has that whole concept messed up. We've put the wrong things on pedestals and stuff, and that's why there's big suicide rates with entrepreneur stuff, and it's not good. But anyways, people don't get it's very lonely to build a business. You think it's like all glamour or being a CEO. It's not. <laughs> it's far, very far from yeah. it and very stressful, especially when you're responsible for paying other people um, and their families. And whew, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but uh, like you, I like to try to at least give everything a try and live on the edge. Like, like the chances of being a human are so ridiculously rare. And then come, then add that to being around today in a world that's better than any other time in history by far, by far. I mean, everyone lived in poverty up until like 1900. Like no one gets that. Like we're, there's so much abundance. We're too rich. It's ridiculous. And I literally mean people who are impoverished in like worldwide poverty, I think is gone or something like that. Or it's like a low percentage, like really, really decreasing. The whole world's been lifted. Yeah, and then and then when you get really narrow into like the U.S. and then you get into like suburbs, well, that you just have no idea that that that's yeah. not how the world fucking lives, like at all. Like that's how I grew up, and I thought everyone would live like that. Nobody lives like that. You're lucky as shit. Like it's just lucky, right? And by the way, it's. It's really full of the most messed up people, actually, who are like the most unhealthy couples that are staying together for the wrong reasons or are working jobs because they just want to be rich and have a big house and show a better car or whatever. Um, There's a great, great line in The Psychology of Money, which I highly recommend to read, highly, by Morgan Housel. And he used to do a valet in Beverly Hills and people would drive Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, you know, be very flashy. And he liked cars as well. And uh, there was this guy that would come up in this like really rare Ferrari that's worth like tons of money. And he was, as he's writing about it, he goes, you know, that guy, he doesn't even remember what that guy looked like or who he was, but he remembers the car. And what's so ironic about that is the guy probably bought the car so everyone sees him or her like in that car, like, look at me, you know, right. 
yet he yeah. only looked, but yet he looked at the car and would think of, oh, himself driving in the car one day or imagining him being in the car, not like that guy in the car. Like it was about what if I have that car? It's me in that car. Like people don't look at what you think they look at. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I thought that was That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. That is so, so true. Um, it's that amazing. Good. Yeah. It's definitely going to read that book. Um, another just, yeah. let's see if you get the answer to this one from that book. There's actually two more things, but this one was, I actually, I was stumped on this one. Now knowing, ready? The human brains, he says, are not wired to understand compounding interest. And he says, if I tell you what's A plus A plus A plus A plus A, you could figure it out. If I said eight times, eight times, eight times, eight times, eight times, you would never figure it out, right? Or it'd be hard. Uh, you, you wouldn't figure it out. Um, I wouldn't. And so he goes, imagine there's two pieces of algae next to each other at the bottom of the lake, okay? And for one month or for 30 days, okay, the two, that starts off with two, and then it doubles, you know, each day for a whole month. On what day is half the lake full? Out of 30 days. What's the answer? Again. On what day? On what day? On what day is half the lake full? On what day? If it doubles half? every day. Yeah, so it starts with two and then it goes to four. And if for 30 days, on what day is half the lake full? It's less than half. No, it's day 29, the day before, the final day. It's half full and then it doubles. It's, well, they, oh, it's right. at the very end. The next one is, yeah. Then the, That's then the next one is, it's full. So right. the point being is that you don't, nothing, ha it just slow things, you know, like increase the value, all this stuff. And then it just goes bonkers at the end. So like Warren Buffett, right. at, at, if he was a normal human and retired at 65 years old or 60 years old, I forget which one it was, and went to hang out with his grandkids, Right. He's worth $59 billion today or something, or now it's over $100 billion, but at the time of the book, um, it was $59 billion. If he retired and played with his grandkids at 65 like normal people do, what would his net worth have been? $11.9 million. Instead, it's $59 billion. And 99.7% and of his wealth has come after the age of 65. Like, oh, wow. The, it's not that he's such a great investor. Yes, he's above average. He's not the best investor. It's, he's 93 years old. He's old. And when things compound, you just heard like the lake. Think of the longer you live, you're just going to. That's how compounding works. Our brains aren't wired to understand that because it's such a uh, like quantum concept. And so like. uh the, that's why requires have a lot of patience as well. Yes. Yes. It, and resilience because he points out like uh, he points out something interesting and we can stop here, which is someone in 1900 who left their money in the stock market all the way to today, 2020, someone who took it out when it was the recession and then someone who would take it out, you know, three months after things were bad, like waited a little bit, but then who ended up with the most money? 
and the person who left and what happened during this period of time. There were two world wars. There were like 19 recessions. There were more days that the stock market was down than up. It was, you know, the Great Depression happened. Uh, all this stuff. And the one who didn't touch the money had over double the wealth of everyone else. Mm-hmm. You, it's, it's emotions. People are, um, we are emotional creatures. We're human. We're, it, yeah. Like, should you buy, should you outright pay for your house in cash at 2% interest when you can get 6% in the S&P 500? No, of course not. However, there, someone might feel comfort in just owning their home. You know, but it wouldn't make sense on a spreadsheet. A spreadsheet would tell you something totally different. You would say you're an idiot, but you know what? There's value in going to sleep at night and being like, I don't have a mortgage. So it's all about what your values are and what your goals are. And that's why comparing or getting financial advice, especially from someone else is so idiotic because you guys value different things. And that goes for everything that we've been talking about this entire night with professions and, and, you know, the creator economy in general, do you, because I promise you, no one's going to be a better you than you are. Like that is a fact. There's just no way it's impossible. There's no one who could be a better version of you than you. There's just no one. How? And you're the only person who knows how you feel and think and all that stuff. And so to be, to turn out and be something because your parents want you to or something else, I think is a catastrophic mistake. And I think, uh, I don't want to see that shit anymore, man. Yeah. 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 That was, that's so true. Yeah. That was good. Um, I haven't even thought about like if, if and how I understand compound interest, but yeah, what, what you said, it's super, super right. Um, my friend, I have to I was, leave you. I was thinking I the same thing. My, my, my dog out. Yeah. He desperately needs to be friendly. Um, but it's been great, man. Dude, I really appreciate you. You were a little choppy, but I appreciate you being on. Uh, just plug you whatever you want and like, where can people find you? Or where's the best place to find you if they want to reach out? Oh, you can find me at uh, Twitter. It's probably the best way at Hector Reyes F. That's my handle. Or LinkedIn. R E Y. I do. I think LinkedIn is the ultimate hack. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm in it. the top. I'm in the top 1% of there. My posts go crazy. They they're seen by like 30,000 people. Like oh, that's it's wild. Crazy. That's insane. Yeah, I think there's a lot well, of potential t- in LinkedIn if you use it right. <sighs> Over 80% of the people on, first of all, most people are outside the U.S. And um, if you make 60000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world. Over um, over 50% of LinkedIn makes over 80000 a year. That's a very valuable. Wow. And you, That's and crazy. You, know their, you, know, you know their jobs, titles. You know where they've worked. You know their colleges. You know their names. You know... It's ridiculous. It's by yes. far the most, and people go on there for very professional reasons, usually, you know, yeah. as opposed That's to TikTok. Right. Although TikTok's yeah. effective yeah. if you do it native to that platform, exactly. but um, super underrated. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I friended yeah. every CEO on the platform for 14 years, and 
I can't even have any more connections. I can't tell you how many people, how many recruiters reach out and they go, oh my, you, you maxed out at 30 some thousand followers. Like you can't get more. It's, I'm going to oh, email wow. them by the way. And they think like, and they have this thing called social selling index. That's how they rate you okay. like on the platform. And like, I'm in the, t- like the less than 1%, you know, the highest you could be in everything. And yeah. I haven't sold anything on LinkedIn. I haven't ever, like I haven't sold anything anywhere. Like I've built a business, not even selling, just educating, right. but it's turning into income. Literally, I haven't sold anything. So I find it funny. It's called social selling index, but because it's high, it makes my stuff just go crazy. And literally every day I would take out my phone and I would friend as like 10 CEOs, like of top relevant companies. I did this literally almost every day for like a decade because I was like, you know what? I think one day, A, you won't be able to do, you won't be able to be a first connection with like these, with mm-hmm. Bill Gates, uh, not, you know, whoever, uh, some power into its CEO or Obama, whatever. Um, and, uh, and uh, so I thought that might go away, but then I was like, it's probably good to have direct access to all these people's inboxes where you can absolutely reach them. <laughs> If you in the future, like that might be a valuable asset, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, and they're, you're also going to see their growth, like your early connections, and then you can see their career path, their growth, and then you can connect with them again. That's what I like about LinkedIn, that you can understand what's happening with this person and what happened before and probably what will happen after. Yep. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, check Hector out on, um, on Twitter and... Uh, Dude, I appreciate you being on. I feel like I talked way too much in this episode by far. No, um, it was great. It was it was great. I had a good time. Um, I learned a lot as well, and uh, it was great. Thanks for having me. I, I I hope you did, and I and I hope everyone listening got some sort of value. And if it did, it probably came from Hector. Uh, but you know, I'm just here trying to be the moderator. Um, so no, that was really good, man. Um, yeah, learned a lot. It was great. Great conversation. Um, yeah, thanks for having me and we'll keep chatting. Yeah, no, I'm glad we did this and, uh, hopefully in the future you'll come on again if you're done. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Have a good night. All right. You too, man. All right. Wait, 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 w